You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 182 of the On Time Plane Talking UK <laughs> podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in the kitchen studio live tonight is uh, my first co-host, Matt Smith. Hello, what, as opposed Matt. to un- not live. <laughs> well, as opposed to not live, yeah, I know. So, hello, Matt. Uh, hello, hello. Yeah, How are you? I'm are good, you? yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah had yeah. a good week? Yeah, yeah, busy, very yeah, busy. Good, well, we like a busy week. Busy weeks are good. You had a good week? I think so, yeah. I mean, I've been dodging rain showers mostly, but I don't think, I think that's anything. you've been doing that in the UK <laughs> every, every day this week. <laughs> Absolutely, pretty much. I think we can safely say summer is over. Yeah, what was summer? Did we have one? That's we had the, about two minutes. Did we? Right. Mm. God, I must have been asleep for those Some people two say minutes. two weeks, but they're lying. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and joining us live from across the pond, it's our illustrious second next co-host on the show. <laughs> second next Third, co-host. You know what I mean. <laughs> so welcome via Skype. Let's hope these uh, internet is as good as Captain Al's was last yes, week. And not like Captain Pips. And not like Not Pips, Captain yeah. Pips. Oh, I promoted Violet him Pips. now. Sorry. <laughs> so, welcome onto the show. It is our wonderful guest host, or host, I should say, Mr. Sir Neville Bounds. Yeah, hi, good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome from a very mild and sunny Washington, D.C. It's about 25 degrees outside and uh, quite humid, but uh, very pleasant. I'm here with uh, my industry colleague, as I like to say, uh, on one of our events and uh, flying back later on tonight. But you had a very full-on week and uh, glad that I could join everybody. <laughs> it's quite yeah, funny, it's actually. As it's so funny because Carlos has just seen you for the first time, obviously, in your full attire, sir. <laughs> and, of course, uh, for those of you listening to the oh. audio podcast, uh, Nev is... Uh, suited he's wearing and booted. A suit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's putting the rest of us here I know, to shame. To shame. I <laughs> yeah, feel really, absolutely. really poorly dressed now. Well, Ned. standards have to be maintained. Well, quite right. Yeah, absolutely. Known. I think we should all wear shirt and tie, personally. But <laughs> and I have to say, Nev, your your audio and your visual are all fine. Well, of so course, well absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, it, now, the, 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 even the standard uh, regular guest internet here was about uh, five meg down and 25 up. So wow. uh, that, that <laughs> will do for me. That's good. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that is crazy. Mm. Of course. I think we'll beat that one that Al had the other week. That no, that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, 100, 100 meg down and 120 <laughs> meg up. But we better stop crazy. talking about broadband speeds, otherwise yeah, I know. I'll get told off. So a little bit of housekeeping. We are smack bang on time, so it is now two minutes past... Uh, sorry, just gone three minutes past <laughs> six. We are an hour earlier than usual. But that's because oh. somebody, our, our, our illustrious uh, hero that is, Sir Nev, has uh, an aeroplane to catch. Uh, what, time, what time is the off, sir? Uh, the flight is at 25 past six, my Ooh, time, um, yep. and that gets me into Heathrow at about quarter to seven tomorrow morning. Lovely. So, wow. um, oh. Yeah, looking yeah. forward to that. So, uh, yeah, sorry, it's the 15th of September <laughs> uh, 2017, and uh, yeah, so we, we we do have a deadline to take because we, we've only got Nev for a little while, a little so while. I think we should bash on. So, uh, before yeah. we start the show then, uh, Nev, a quick taster on what you've got to look forward to for your segment this week. What's, uh, what's this week's segment oh yeah uh this is with andrew smith and uh, andrew's one of my industry colleagues and uh, he has done uh, flown extensively in the far east middle east uh africa the european continent us and wow. has got a, a lot to say on the subject of airline service or the lack of it in or, some or the lack of it yes, I, I know it's worrying i mean there's one or two that you throw in there where it's actually um you know surprisingly uh favorable but i, I must i must say the one thing i have learned from these segments is standards on the hill 
seem to have dropped somewhat to what oh, yes. they used to be. Yeah, no doubt about it. But uh, anyway. So we're going to say a quick hello to everyone who's joined us live in yes. the chat room tonight. Loads of names in there. Like you've, you've, they've all checked out, I tell you. They're, yeah. they're there. You yeah, know, so we're an hour absolutely. early yeah, and they're all there. Yeah. Apart from Jennifer, obviously, because she's not going to go out and watch aircraft. Yeah, well, I, well, I don't blame her for that. Enough. I don't mind being dumped. And I will take it personally as a dumping in the fact that she no longer loves us anymore. And we've also got air show royalty as well Have in we? the chat room. Uh, Rick Bell. <gasps> the legend, our Pittsburgh yes, legend. Yes, our is, Pittsburgh yeah. legend that is yeah. Rich Bell Hello, is Sir in Rick. the yes. chat room. I think we should make, can you make, can you make people from, from, from the States sirs? I think we should. I th- an, honor, an honorary <laughs> sir, I think that's the way forward. <laughs> Jennifer's put in the chat room, Carlos has been replaced with an evil Carlos. Fans of the original <laughs> Star Trek will get it. <laughs> That is true. That is true. Oh, yes, uh, yes. I understand you're growing your beard for a bet. Yeah, Gemma <laughs> said that I wouldn't be able to to not shave and to grow this. So right. I said okay. I'm going to do it. So, and, and how long do we have to put up with this hideous um, uh, well, this facial been, growth? What's this? A week and a half now. Right. Okay. So you got to yeah. do it for a month, is it? I'm I mean, normally people do it. Normally people grow beards and moustaches for. Um, for like November, you know, for raising money for charity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Have you ever grown a beard, beard, Sanev? No, I had a, a moustache when I was about <laughs> oh. um, 16, 17 did, did years go, old, did, did, and did. it looked as though I was the sort of person that might appear in certain kinds of films. Yeah, indeed. Did, did, I mean, was there a full mullet to go with it? I hope so. <laughs> yes, there was. Absolutely, yeah. Glenn Hoddle style. Yeah. I just, keep, good at all. I just yeah. keep thinking of Ron Jeremy. <laughs> oh, stop it. Anyway, anyway. Uh, come on. Anyway, uh, we need to do some news. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we are going to start the show then, as yes. we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you you're ready, man. Yes, I am. Yes, yes, and yes. And if you're ready, Nev. Already here, sir. Let's go. So, kicking off this week's first news story. This one is on the local.de. And uh, the headline is, want to buy a bust German airline? And by bust, I mean one that's broken. broken. Not, not one not of, of a certain, the certain yes. yeah. okay. uh, Today is your last chance. So uh, Friday today uh, brings a moment of truth for bankrupt Air Berlin. Oh. As a raucous bidding war closes that could see Germany's second largest airline broken down for parts amid wildcat strikes by pilots. Some 8,500 employees and 140 aircraft and a string of precious landing slots at German airports are in the sights of potential buyers, who range from airline behemoth Lufthansa to upstart challengers like Austrian Formula One legend Niki Lauda. Uh, they have until, well, it was until actually midday today to submit their wow. offers uh, with concrete decisions uh, ex- expected from management no later than the 25th of September. Air Berlin carried uh, 36 million passengers in 2016, but has long struggled for survival booking, uh, with booking losses amounting to 1.2 billion euros over the past two years. After main shareholder Etihad Airways withdrew its financial support in mid-August, the airline triggered bankruptcy proceedings and gave potential buyers a month to submit offers for its assets. Economy Minister Brigitte uh, Zebrez declared that no one company will be able to buy Air Berlin for uh, competition reasons. Good idea. Uh, Lufthansa, by far Germany's biggest carrier, appears hungry for Air Berlin's planes. 
It already leases 38 aircraft from its smaller competitor and could be interested in up to 90 according to media reports. But competitors in the bidding have accused Lufthansa of seeking a monopoly over the German skies. Michael O'Leary, outspoken chief executive of Ireland's no-frill carrier Ryanair, called a uh, stormy Berlin press conference to denounce a German stitch-up in favour of Lufthansa. He told journalists he would not be joining the fray, although some analysts thought the uh, Willie or Wiley businessman might be bluffing. Probably. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, Meanwhile, well uh, Bavarian uh, aviation investor Hans Rudolf Wurl has already published a 500 million uh, euro offer to buy Air Berlin as a whole and invited his rivals to team up with him on the offer. And Austrian Formula One champion Nicky Lauda announced a bid with Thomas Cook on Wednesday to buy 38 of Air Berlin's planes along with those belonging to the airline's low-cost subsidiary that bears his first name. Press reports have pointed to more potential offers from EasyJet um, and also tourism operator TUI, or TUI, as T-U-I. well as uh, Jonathan Pang, the Chinese owner of Parchim Cargo Airport in northeast Germany, and Utz Klaassen, the former head of German power supplier ENBW. Air Berlin's boss, Thomas uh, Winkelmann, a former Lufthansa executive, has admitted to talks with around 10 potential investors even before the deadline passed, aiming to close a deal at the latest in September. Um, well, it's uh, Air Berlin, you know, they're... they're um, I used to see them quite frequently mm. flying over here. You know, they were a fairly busy airline. Yeah. Um, it's always a shame with airlines do have issues like this, especially with the amount of employees. Eight and a half mm. thousand people, that is a lot of I can't, employees. I can't understand their concern over um, uh, what, what they call like, the monopolies thing, though, you know, with one carrier. Oh, sort yeah. of. I, I can't understand their concern, but surely that's better than... I, I don't know. Is it better that the thing. airline goes bust? I don't know. It's the it's the slot thing. You know, if if one airline comes in and, and buys all the slots that mm. Air Berlin had, all all the airports around mm. Europe, then that airline is going to have one heck of a monopoly over yeah. everyone else. So they're going to try and mm. you know share the out between various people. True. Any thoughts, Nev? Yeah, it was a very popular service actually. I know quite a few people that used to uh, take that back, uh, that service backwards and forwards, and within Germany and Switzerland as well. Um, so uh, I don't quite understand why it is gone the way it has, because I'm sure that they had the load factors to, to justify yeah. everything. So, uh, but I don't, know what, I don't know what the fares were. So again, you know, if if the fares so, weren't high enough, um, so, so then it, that might have been a problem. Is this one of these low cost carrier, or is this a, like an ordinary airline that converted themselves into like a like a a low cost? airline model because sometimes that's quite unsuccessful isn't it where they they uh, did start off more yeah. like a, a full service airline and yeah. then obviously trying to compete with the low cost operators yeah. um, but, but, but the cost base ends up being too high of course indeed uh, but we won't go over that too much because obviously um, in, in Nev's passenger experience this week uh, uh, a similar subject is somewhat uh, alluded to if my memory mm. serves correctly so certainly <laughs> yeah absolutely so moving on to the next story and Matt this one is yes you and it's a good story, it's so d- d- don't get too upset. Okay, all right. Ryanair, obviously, as as it as always <laughs> seems to be with story two. And this is on the independent.ie. So it's the Irish version of the independent newspaper. And the headline is, Ryanair is hiring cabin crew. Here's how to apply and what you could potentially 
earn. Uh, Ryanair wants to carry 200 million passengers by year 2024, and it's searching for cabin crew to staff a growing fleet. Recruitment partner Dalmac is seeking to fill hundreds of positions, starting with open recruitment days in Dublin on September the 19th and October the 17th. Uh, Successful applicants must pay for their own training and work very hard, but they will also play very hard. Its website says in what is uh, not just a job a lifestyle uh, headline um, and I, having spoken to some people many people who work uh, as cabin crew I think that statement is is pretty fair no previous cabin crew experience is required but applicants need to fulfill several basic criteria according to the recruiters they should be over 18 years of age physically fit with a good attendance record in their current position hard-working flexible and willing to operate a shift roster between five foot two that's 1.57 meters and six foot two 1.88 meters in height with weight in proportion hmm. uh, of normal vision contact lenses or conservative style glasses is acceptable able to swim i think that's very important uh, at <laughs> at least 20 meters unaided uh, hold a valid eu passport have the right to work in both the uk and ireland fluent in english both written and spoken ready to deal with customers in demanding situations uh, friendly and outgoing with a fun personality it also it is also an advantage though not essential to be experienced in dealing with the public and comfortable in a selling role now that's interesting <laughs> because quite often there's this being co- this conversation in the fact that the, that cabin crew are not selling and yet here in the Ryanair advert they are more or less saying exactly that. Yeah, it's a pre- pre- prerequisite, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Well, yes, indeed. So, I mean, I won't go on too much, uh, basically, but... Uh, You've got to register to the course, yeah, though. Yeah, absolutely. 500 euros. Yeah, it's not cheap. Yeah, so charges include a registration fee of 500 euros and a course fee of 2,399 euros if paid, paid up, up front, front or 2,999 <sighs> euros deducted from salaries over 11 month period so it's not a cheap thing however i I mean i I know to a lot of people this probably sounds horrific but if you are very passionate about aviation i do think you know if you are able to to do this and you i mean of course the only other side is you pay all that money and there's no guarantee that you qualify Mm. Uh, there's no guarantee that you become cabin crew but I mean, if you are serious about aviation, uh, it's a great way, because let's be honest, if you can cope in a a Ryanair environment... Um, frankly, surely any other airline is going to be a doddle. It does Absolutely. say yeah, yeah, on the yeah. story that you could yeah. earn anything from 900 to 1,400 euros per month mm. after tax Taxes in your and first year at yeah. most bases. Mm. That's, I mean, it, not, I, that's not a not great too, deal. But if you're young... Which uh, which most cabin crew are, I like to say. Yes, yes. Uh, but if you're, but yeah. I mean, if you're young and you're still, you know, you've you've just left school, you're mm. you're college or something like that, and you and you and you like aviation, yeah. and you're living at home, you've got no ties, no mortgages, no, no, no bills, true. no loans, then yes. you know that's. Yes, unfortunately, our only Harpjet representative who would probably have a, have several things to say on this particular yeah, news story uh, is currently He'll in the air. F- no, he's, he's, he's currently oh. in the air on his way back from Germany at the moment. Oh. So, uh, yes, he was going to be uh, on the ground in time to watch, but unfortunately they were delayed. But we'll gloss over that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, maybe maybe we'll get um, some comment later on. Uh, yeah. ish, the, later on, or perhaps in next week's. Owen comments. Owen generally tends to listen to the show back each week. Yeah, it's because he's usually it's usually because yeah. I'm making him edit it, so he's got yeah. no choice. <laughs> so moving on to the next story, and uh, yeah. Nev, this is uh, all for you. 
Yeah, I was reading this story during this weekend. If you want an example of uh, journalism and exaggeration, Uh-oh. gone mad, <laughs> oh, this no. is one. Um, right. It's, Goody. Uh, it is, yes. And it's uh, in the Express and it says, British Airways flight to Athens takes 33 hours and four planes in embarrassing ordeal. British Airways passengers suffered a nightmare flight from London to Athens, which ended up taking 33 hours and four planes. BA has apologised to passengers who were caught up in the ordeal, which began on Tuesday last week. Wow. The flight time from London to Athens is less than four hours, but this journey lasted eight times longer. <laughs> a faulty cockpit warning light caused the first flight due to, to, uh, to depart at 1.15pm to be cancelled at Heathrow, but this was just the first in a long line of problems for passengers. The second plane couldn't take off at its scheduled time of 5pm because cabin crew had exceeded their working hours. Passenger Jeff Lye said the pilot told him it was the most embarrassing PA announcement he had made. After an hour on the plane due to security issues, passengers were allowed to disembark. BA gave them vouchers for a night stay in London before the travellers returned the next day to board another plane. Okay. Another plane, sorry. <laughs> this flight did depart at 1.40pm, but just moments later, the starboard engine caught fire. Oh, no. Mr Lye told the Evening Standard, we just took off and there was a bang and it was the engine next to me there was this huge noise and a judder and then there were about six more bangs it was one bang after the other well it would be wouldn't it i'm an atheist but even i was praying our hearts were racing (laughs) passengers behind me said that they could see flames kicking out from the engine i've never heard that expression before uh anyway the pilots shut down the right engine and they made a return to heathrow later that night at 7:40 p.m on wednesday the fourth and final plane took off bound for its destination passengers finally arrived in athens early thursday morning mr lie a pensioner why that's relevant i don't know said <laughs> he had been loyally <laughs> flying ba for nearly 40 years but will mm. now avoid the airline he said there was no communication and it was unbelievable that they could get so much wrong BA confirmed that four planes were involved in the two-day ordeal. And a spokesman said following a technical fault with the aircraft, a replacement was provided, but after crew members went over their allocated working hours, the flight was night-stopped. And the next day, the replacement aircraft returned to Heathrow after a technical fault, and another aircraft continued the journey to Athens. Uh, Our teams on the ground were trying their best to provide customers with as much info as they possibly could when they had it. And we fully appreciate how frustrating this experience has been and have apologised to our customers for the long delay to their flight uh, i only have one comment to make about that it's just one of those things it and is, yeah. um <laughs> bleep happens sometimes yes indeed. And, it, and, and that's how it is you know everybody's safe but it's very frustrating and uh when the crew go out of hours as well then yep. obviously that's a safety concern and it's a legal uh, issue as well it is so yeah. I, I think it's um uh been slightly over over egged over really that that's shocking shorty shorty <laughs> crossgrove in the chat room has said that he hates it when engines catch fire i mean <laughs> yes i mean i mean certainly as 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 a nervous flyer he says um to require four flight bear in mind that's obviously just going from what was it was it from london to athens and yeah. it took four planes and that's so that's that's not in in order to get home either so there is every possibility that the same thing could happen on the way home. Um, it, it was just a bad off day. It yeah, was an off day. I know. I know. It's, as you say, they've got to wear on the side of caution. And I can understand why lots of people were very frustrated. But uh, as you can always rely on the British media for a very balanced, non-shocking headline or 12. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, happy, happy days. So <laughs> the next story is, uh, this one is 
on the emirateswoman.com website. Yes, I do find the wonderful websites around the globe. Uh, and uh, this You're one, uh, we've been talking for the last few weeks about various different airlines' uh, safety videos. And obviously we had that little piece that uh, Captain Nick sent in a few weeks yes, back about indeed. safety videos. And another airline, Etihad, has uh, a super stylish new safety video. Yes. So if you've ever flown with Air New Zealand, you know that the airline safety videos don't have to compete, uh, don't have to have to be complete snooze fests. From Lord of the Rings inspired epics to celebrity cameos, the airline has a knack for grabbing passengers' attention. But now Abu Dhabi-based airline Etihad Airways has just launched its own creative offering, and we think it might be the most stylish safety video we've ever seen. So the airline has partnered with British designer Julianne MacDonald to create the video entitled uh, Runway to Runway, which shows the parallels between the backstage of a high-end fashion show and the preparation that goes into ensuring a safe and comfortable flight. The video features more than 17 eye-catching Gucci outfits uh, from the designer, uh, modelled by WME and IMG models, but don't worry, it's not all style and no substance. The airline still manages to get its safety messages across. One model clicks a seatbelt over her designer dress uh, as if the season's hottest accessory, while models <laughs> getting their hair styled wear oxygen masks to avoid the cloud of hairspray. The new safety video will be available to watch on board from late autumn. And uh, Eddie Had is a major supporter of the fashion industry, sponsoring 17 Fashion Week events around the world. So a little <laughs> treat for you then, boys and girls. Rather than you having to wait until when you are on uh, said airline, we're going to play oh. you a bit of the uh, Etihad Airways Runway to Runway video right now. Welcome on board. Please pay close attention to this important safety demonstration. Your seatbelt must be fastened whenever the seatbelt sign is lit. To adjust the belt, pull on the strap. To unfasten, simply lift the metal flap and pull apart. If emergency oxygen is required during the flight, oxygen masks will automatically drop down from the panel above you. To start the flow of oxygen, pull the mask firmly towards you. Place the mask over your nose and mouth and breathe normally. Slip the elastic band over your head. If required, it can be adjusted by pulling on the straps. Fit your own mask before helping others. There are 16 emergency exits on this aircraft, which are clearly marked. The arrows on the signs indicate the direction to the exits. Your nearest exit may be behind you. In an emergency, the floor path marking will guide you to the exits. 
Instructions on how to open the exit can be found on each exit. I think we can safely say that is uh, a rather is interesting safety Follow video. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, that was appalling, wasn't it? <laughs> It's. Uh, I, I think. I think the best thing is, is like literally, as as you were saying when you were reading the story, it's like literally wearing the safety belt as like this year's latest accessory. And he says, wanting maybe being a little controversial here, I'd be quite happy to be the one fastening the belt. Yeah, I, I would for, like that for job. her. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, where that where show, yeah, I mean, so. where is this going to go? This is. I mean, it's, it's getting I'll tell you what, ridiculous it's ve- now. It's very, very similar in lots of ways. I think actually to the British Airways, the new one that we were talking. You know, uh, or it hasn't got so much got the celebrities and that. But I, was it um, Singapore Airlines that w- that we did where it got the beautiful, yeah, nice one. It had yeah, the beautiful yeah. views and stuff. I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, we're probably going to get an- <laughs> we're probably going to get another nasty message from Captain Nick now about well. this. But it's. Uh, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, they are beautifully filmed. I mean, they are little mini films, <laughs> right, yeah. aren't they? They're beautiful. It must have cost a, a fortune yeah. to, to have shot this, actually. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's very well done, but is it the right stuff to, to put out as a safety video? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think the jury's out on these things, isn't it? It's, it's, it's difficult to, to say. I mean, you know, I suppose... My, my worry is I wouldn't mind so much just watching it, but of course the, the, the issue is that this this is instead of the cockpit demonstration. And I do still think that the cockpit de- demonstration, which I know we take the mickey out of the likes of EasyJet and Ryanair and all that kind of thing, but there is something very obvious about, you know... <laughs> It's very obvious to sit there, and you must. Hello, something's going on in the chat room. Obviously, go on, enlighten me. <laughs> David, uh, David M in the chat room has said that uh, our fashion show runway is dangerous. Uh, also, Mike has said that uh, he hates these silly yes. videos that yeah, have yeah, nothing yeah. to do with safety. Yeah. Uh, and he also says, uh, Micah says as well that this uh, it lures passengers into a feeling of such comfort that they have no idea what to do in case mm. of a real emergency. Uh, yeah. Shorty apparently's got hairspray in his eyes. Uh, oh, right. It's okay, just pull down the mask. Pull down the mask. mask, all will be fine. I presume you've got one dangling from your, your, your light fitting or something. Uh, but, uh, yes, it's, uh, I don't know, as I say, they're beautifully shot. I mean, I can't, I can't take that away from them. They look beautiful, but... Uh, do, I mean, do you remember, Nev, in the good old days of safety videos, when, you know, when they started to show actual video safety videos, and, and I think it was Thompson uh, back then had the... There was like a cartoon version they'd done. Yeah. It was kind of, a, you know, an overlaid cartoon. Okay. Of real people, but doing the same. Yeah, yeah, and that's. I think that's kind of all right, really. Mm. Uh, but uh, th- this is just so mm. far to the other end of the extreme of things. I, I just don't know how effective it's going to be, really, uh, and whether people are going to take it all in. <laughs> and there is this. There is this. I mean, there is this possible subject. You know, in a time where lots of cabin crew are going on strike and all that kind of thing because you know pay and working conditions are appalling. I mean, the million. I mean, well, Nev and I both know how much it costs to do even the most simplest of production um so to do something of this glamorous nature as nev said earlier i mean the the money that's been spent on this thing i mean could that not be better spent on customer on service customer service <laughs> and looking after the cabin crew and all that kind of thing that has been I'm, mentioned in the chat room has it right yeah. okay um, yeah anyway uh we could go on and on i know um, it just gets i mean you know, you know what's going to happen t- next yeah there'll be another one in a no, minute no 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 we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll be in the odeon cinema oh, right yeah, okay, watching yeah. a, a safety demonstration video Ooh, it'll be, be nice. a, it'll be an epic production as long as it comes with free cheesy nachos and popcorn i i'm i'm yeah, okay. like well up for that anyway 
Uh, so moving on to the, the next Seattle story. The Seattle Times is uh, the next story, and the headline <laughs> is uh, the Russian airline orders, or a Russian airline orders six triple sevens, helping bridge Boeing's delivery gap. Uh, Boeing revealed that a new firm order for six triple seven passenger uh, jets was placed by Aeroflot of Russia. The sale helps bridge the delivery gap between the current triple sevens and the forthcoming triple seven X. A day after Boeing chief executive Dennis Muhlenberg, uh, Muhlenberg sorry, revealed a new order for six triple seven three hundred ERs that helps bridge the gap between the current triple sevens and the forthcoming triple seven X. The plane maker disclosed the buyer, Russian flagship airline Aeroflot. The purchase was approved on the thirty first of August by Aeroflot's board. The airline said the jets will be delivered between the second quarter of 2018 and the first quarter of 2021. Muhlenberg said that Wednesday's Boeing said on Wednesday, sorry, that Boeing had just a handful of 777 delivery slots still to fill in 2019. However, even as Boeing begins to introduce the 777X starting in 2020, it will also build some current model 777s for a couple of years until production of the newer model ramps up. Aeroflot said it plans to use the 777s for long-haul flights between Europe and Asia and to remote regions in Russia. So uh, what what was said in the chat room there, Carlos? I heard you laughing. No, no, no. <laughs> I was just reading the various comments that have been made about my facial hair, but that's I not to I see, right. Show. <laughs> okay. Not um, family-friendly. But getting back to yes. the story in hand, <laughs> okay. um, I see what the, the this, this story is sort of kind of saying, that um, obviously with, with Boeing releasing the 777X yeah. soon, they obviously want to clear up the bits and the, bobs the, the that got left. That they've of got the original triple seven, which makes sense, obviously. Yeah. I think, in, uh, in you know, when you're bringing yeah. out a brand new aircraft, you want to clear up all the, um, you know, the odds and ends. Yes, okay. the old stuff. Uh, that's you. one way of looking at it. Yes, well, I'm looking forward to the triple seven X. I think it's going to be awesome. Okay, because you know, this is. Um, well, the triple seven is in my top five favourite aircraft. There um, we are. Yeah. There's also a great picture there, actually, on this story um, of the uh, production plant at Everett's, uh, the final yes. assembly line, uh, mm. with the triple seven fuselages there in the in the pre-painted green colour. Very nice. Which is quite Very nice. nice. Yeah. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is for you, Nev. Yeah, this is on the uh, traveller.com.au website. And it says that Jetstar becomes the first Australian air- airline to offer, offer afterpay. Do you, do you know Travers- what? I can genuinely hear Grant McHeron sighing or screaming or something. I can genuinely hear the because min- whenever you mention Jetstar, the, the stuff that air. comes out of his or Tiger Air or any of those, the words that come out of his mouth are mm. just uh, fine. anyway. So uh, I look forward yes, to uh, the abusive email we receive perhaps later in the week. Well, uh, the, 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 the story <laughs> I, I think is phenomenal, and it oh, says good. that travellers can pay for their flights in instalments. What after Jetstar <laughs> became the first Australian airline to sign up with payment platform Afterpay. Afterpay allows travellers to pay for flights in fortnightly instalments and can be used for domestic tickets priced between 200 and 1000 Australian dollars booked at least 8 weeks in advance with a $10 service fee per transaction. And uh, Jetstar Group Chief Executive Jane Herdlicker said that the payment service could be extended to international flights. Partnering with Afterpay gives our customers the option to lock in 
at low fares at today's prices and pay over time, even during our sales, she said on Wednesday. And Afterpay co-founder Nick Molnar said that millennials are spending a growing slice of their disposable income on travel. There's been a clear shift in millennials' share of wallet towards the services industry and more specifically travel, he said. Afterpay touch shares soared after the deal was announced and were trading at 8 0.25% higher at 4.33 Australian dollars at 1300 hours. Shares in Qantas, which owns Jetstar Airways in Australia and New Zealand and partially owns the discounted uh, the discount airline elsewhere, were trading 1.93% firmer at uh, 5.81 Australian dollars. Um, I just think this is another credit problem uh, th th that's going to happen. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, I did not. I did not know this was even a thing. I genuinely didn't realise that being able to sort of, uh, you know, have your airline tickets on the nod, I, I genuinely didn't realise that was a thing. <laughs> on the nod, Matt, explain that, please. Some people might know what on the nod On the means. nod, sorry, like, like, you know, like you're paying for, you know, sort of paying for, like, oh, in instalments. You know, my, my parents would have said on the tick. On the tick. On the tick, on the tick. yes, that's, yeah. a, that's another version. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's, uh, I, 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 can, I can understand. My issue, my issue with this is, like, if, say, let, let's say Etihad, which we all acknowledge as a quality, oh, quality airline. Yeah, you know, but it's like I'd be more interested in doing, a, like, an, an on-the-nod for having a really, really nice experience. <laughs> you know, I quite happily pay, you know, £100 a week for I don't know how long to, to experience, yeah, like, the, the resident flight. Well, this is yeah. it. No, I think the residents This is the kind of, of my point. 14 grand ain't get is one way. Okay, all right, maybe not. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you do get concierge wow. service. Um, okay. no, oh, oh you, you, concierge service, what's that, yeah. your own butler? You do. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, you get your own butler. Okay, fair enough. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, if you, if, you had, if you had nothing else to spend your money on, you wanted to really treat yourself, and you didn't have hmm. 14 grand sitting around yeah. in the bank, and you thought, well, just once. But Jet, you've got to try. But Jetstar is essentially the equivalent of our EasyJet and Ryanair, oh, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? So, yeah. like... I mean, with the greatest of respect, if you can't afford to fly <laughs> with Ryanair and EasyJet, or in this case, Jetstar, <laughs> then maybe you shouldn't be considering travelling, um, he says. Um, this, this would be no good for me. I, I, I'd, live, <laughs> I'd, have a, I'd rack up such a debt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. You, you can get into some serious trouble very, very quickly, I would have thought. Well, and I dare say it's a bit like one of these payday loan things that we have here in the yeah. UK. I mean, mm. I, I don't suppose the interest rate is, rate is particularly favourable. I mean, they say it's only a £10 transaction fee involved, but, uh, you know, what's the interest rate on the actual flight? <laughs> And the damage it could do to your credit rating as well if you if you weren't uh, yeah. um, uh, prompt with the payments and all the rest if, of it. So your your nice holiday yeah. just, just cost you a whole lot of uh, trouble. I would have thought. Actually, it's crazy. Harking yeah. back to last week's show, Nev um, uh, Tony S is asking the chat room. Uh, Neville is looking very smart. Will you be turning left? After boarding the plane. Oh, very good. I will be because I ha I have paid a few dollars uh, <gasps> oh. to get seat one A on oh. my way back. What does uh, what, what's which, so special about one A? Really? What's what's yeah. one A? What have, I, what have I missed? Somebody somebody, somebody <laughs> needs to explain. What what does that mean? Is that on the internal uh, flight? I'm, though, I'm right, right at the front of the plane uh, on the left hand side by the window. 
Oh, oh, I thought you were in the cockpit. Sorry. No, okay. no, that, that is 1A. One one yeah, that is 1A. 1A and B. I wouldn't mind. Well, no, no, indeed. Yes, absolutely. Jump seat privileges are clearly the way to go if you're Senev, I think, anyway. Yeah. See, that's, that's what they need to do with this payday thing for the airlines. They need to have, you know, if you want to sit on the jump seat what, turn uh, it to in, a, on the flight an deck. An experience day. And, yeah, an experience day. And, you know, you could pay like five grand to sit on the on the jump seat of a... Of, right. Well, any, okay. Really, yeah. I would definitely be in debt then. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, good. No. Uh, we better move on before the wife comes home. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, She's so due any minute, and I if know. she hears this conversation, she, well, all, all cards will be destroyed. The joint uh, account's <laughs> going to take a, quite a hammering. Anyway, moving anyway, on yes. to the next story, and this one is on the hmm, mtlblog.com. And uh, it's good news for our Canadian listeners. Uh, apparently, according to mtlblog.com, the uh, Canadian airline are going to offer uh, flights across Canada for $100. Um, so hopping on a plane and travelling to another part of Canada is by no means cheap. Well, I don't know. We'll have to ask Liz. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. Flying with Canada or out uh, of, uh, for that matter, is incredibly expensive, but that could all change when Canada Jetlines, an airline founded on affordability, launches next year. Uh, so poised to start sending out flights uh, by June 2018, Canada Jetlines promises flights from one end of Canada to the other for about $100. Uh, Canada Jetlines CEO Stan Gadek announced the company's air travel initiatives at a press conference in Toronto yesterday. Gadek said uh, flights on Canada Jetliner will cost the price of a pair of jeans. Uh, which is not exactly a specific metric. Who knows where this guy buys his jeans? But uh, <laughs> Gaddick did follow up with a bit more info, saying that flights will generally, generally be less than $100. Uh, Gaddick also touched on the current prices for flights in Canada, which are incredibly high. Are, are people spending more than $100 on their jeans, then? Is that not. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so the new low-cost airline... I'll go airline, to George of Asda for mine. I, I don't well, yeah. <laughs> the new low-cost airline is planning to launch uh, on June the 1st of next year, operating out of Hamilton and Waterloo. Uh, thrifty Canadians can take their uh, take an aeroplane ride to Halifax, uh, Halifax, Calgary, Winnipeg or Edmonton and Vancouver. Uh, more flights and destinations are going to be added as time goes on, with Canada Jetlines aiming to have six planes in operation by the six-month mark, heading out to international national markets like Cancun and Florida. Canadians are at a disadvantage when it comes to domestic tourism. Visiting the West Coast or the Maritimes for Quebec or Ontario can be more expensive than flying internationally. So what? that's what uh, most Canadians do when taking a trip or leaving our beautiful nation to head elsewhere, all because Canada, uh, Canadian airlines set their prices too high. Hopefully Canada Jetlines and other new low-cost airlines like Flair, originally New Leaf, will make uh, flying far more affordable, pushing the major airlines like Air Canada and Air Transat to lower their prices. So this is good news then, I suppose, because Canada is um, probably a slightly larger country than the UK. Not just a uh, tad. Yes. So it's going to cost a few quid to fly from one side to the other. But um, if you can do it for $100, oh, I don't know what that is in today's current exchange rate for uh, UK I don't know. There's pounds. no point in trying Never to take probably it. Because by the time it's been released, it, well, by the time, it, thanks to Brexit yeah. and all sorts of things, by the time this has actually been what's, released... What's $100, released? Nev? <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know what Canadian dollars is uh, to the pound. I, I can't remember, actually. Um, but uh, I think that it's good that news, though, isn't it, that they've... Uh, um, expanding those sorts of routes and give people a lot more choice and yeah. especially at sensible uh, money as well I think that's a, a very good thing yeah. to see 
It's yeah. good to see that they'll be using a nice Boeing aircraft, so that's good on them. I, is that good? Well, yes, because it is. Yeah. <laughs> moving on, then, yeah, to well, the next I, story. Uh, Airbus? I, I, <laughs> Swiftly? No, no, we don't know. No? On. Okay, <laughs> all right, okay, sorry. Okay, <laughs> so uh, uh, the Post and Courier is the mm. website, and the headline Lovely is Boeing one. closing in on 600... Are, are, we, are we just only advertising a Boeing no, not this week? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Boeing closing in on 600th Dreamliner delivery as North Charleston Campus readies the 7 Eight seven dash ten. Boeing, uh, the Boeing company is about to hit another milestone for its seven eight seven Dreamliner program with the six hundredth twin aisle commercial plane scheduled for delivery later this month. An unofficial production calendar for the aerospace giant shows September the twenty sixth as the day landmark delivery will take place. Uh, but it's not clear uh, who will get the plane. British Airways and Netherlands-based leasing firm Aircap are on schedule to take ownership of planes that day. One of them will get number 599 and the other will get number 600. We probably won't know until later that day or the next day who gets plane number 600, said Dreamliner analyst uh, Yurash Seth, who tracks production of the wide body planes on all things 787 website. Uh, that's certain. What's certain is that delivery will take place at the Everett Wash Assembly Plant rather than the North Charleston campus, according to Seth. And um, Boeing's North Charleston site has just one more delivery scheduled this month, a 787-9 to Air China on the September the 20th. The 600th delivery will come less than a year after Boeing bought its 500th Dreamliner to Colombian airline Avancia in December. That marked the shortest amount of time a wide-body program had taken to hit the 500 deliveries mark. The next milestone delivery for the North Charleston campus probably will happen in late November. November or early December when the site turns over its 200th Dreamliner in an as yet unspecified customer. Or should I say to an unspecified customer. I could go on. But, but uh, this yeah. uh, the 600 would be interesting to see because obviously it says in the story here that they, they're not sure who's going to get the 600th no. one. But generally as a rule when uh, Boeing rolls out the 200, 300, a milestone one like this, yeah. uh, the airline who has the aircraft generally gets to have that figure on the side, painted on the side oh, of the right. aircraft. Oh, I thought perhaps there'd be some kind of fancy should have been water, but ex- accidentally ends up being phone type no, of <laughs> reception. <probably>, hopefully not. <laughs> uh, I remember when Norwegian got their, um, I think it was, I forget which one it was now, Norwegian had one mm. of their aircraft specially painted with um, a number as well for the so many um, mm. Aircraft. I forget the number it was now, but um, have, you seen, you, have you seen these ones, uh, Nev, that have got the numbers painted on the yeah, side? Yeah, they, they do some, some special livery, don't they, uh, for, for them? And uh, yeah, very good indeed. Re- they really look nice, don't they? Mm. It's good. Actually, it's, it's, worth, it's worth just saying here in, in this story, it was saying the Dash 10 is being built exclusively by the North Charleston, by North, or in North Charleston, uh, because its mid-body section is too large to transport by plane to the Everett plant, so it's obviously too big for that dolphin thing. No, that's the, that's <laughs> the Airbus, it's yeah. Beluga. Oh, is it? Oh, oh, oh dear. Oh, yeah, they, they definitely won't. The they, they definitely won't be, won't be flying on one of those. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I don't think they'll be doing that. Never mind. Sorry. That'll be no, um, special. Boeing, then. Boeing have the Dream Lifter. Oh, which really? Is very nice. Does that look like a dolphin too? No, that's the Dreamlifter is <laughs> based on the A3, uh, not the A3, the um, uh, it's Dreamlifter. Based is, on, you're you're, you're uh, doing what I'm head, doing. Now. I know, it's based on the, in the 7.4, isn't it, uh, Nev? 
I think right, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, the yeah. Seventh yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, it'd be good to see that. Well, so there we are. Moving on to the next story. Indeed. And yeah. uh, this one, I forget who we who's next. Nev. Nev. It's Nev. <laughs> Just before I kick off with that, I've just noticed that one of my industry chums is in the chat room. Uh, oh. Top creative director Graham English has made an appearance there. Ooh. So, oh, uh, hello, Graham. to you, Graham, and uh, thanks for joining us. And, oh, uh, he's a, a very fine fella. He's, he's right. done some very, very nice work indeed. And I might even give his website a bit of a When do we hear about good. his passenger experiences? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure next time I'm up in Salford, I shall bring my recording gear. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, Graham, Graham's lovely. flown a lot around the world. So Excellent. So yes, some, lovely. He'll be a good critique Some then. stories to tell. Yes, I bet he does. Yes, horrifying Definitely. ones, yes. no doubt. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this next story is from uh, wired.com, although I think it should be weird.com. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it point, says yeah. that... It says that early next year, a Boeing 777 will take off from the company's airfield near Seattle with a laser shooting out of its nose. I beg your pardon. <laughs> it may s yes. It may sound like a novel and grisly way to avoid bird strikes, but this isn't that kind of laser. Rather, it's part of a new system that Boeing hopes could spot brutal turbulence that can damage aircraft and toss passengers around the cabin uh, and, give <laughs> and give crews enough time to hunker down before the going gets tough. Um, it says with modern passenger aircraft, uh, whilst modern passenger aircraft can withstand even the bumpiest rides, turbulence remains dangerous for the people inside those planes. And according to the FAA, 44 people were severely injured by turbulence in 2016. And that doesn't count the less severe rocking and spill drinks passengers uh, endure on flights on a daily basis. Boeing thinks that a long-range LIDAR could be the answer. We expect to be able to spot clear air turbulence more than 60 seconds ahead of the aircraft, or about 17.5 kilometres, giving the crew enough time to secure the cabin and minimise the risk of injuries, said Stefan uh, Biansky. Uh, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, the Boeing program's lead investigator said, and uh, the clear air turbulence is the sort that can strike without any visual warnings, like moving clouds. The LIDAR is the centerpiece of a new system developed by Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, which has been collaborating with Boeing since 2010 to configure it for use on commercial aircraft. It uh, projects a, project a laser in a steady ahead of the aircraft whilst an optical sensor tracks the bits of light reflected back by dust particles along the path of the beam. Uh, software analyzes the aircraft's velocity relative to the movement and velocities of particles at different distances. Significant changes in the velocity differentials, like pockets of air moving faster than the stuff around it, are signs of turbulence ahead. When the system detects those deltas, it will alert the flight crews uh, through audible and visual cues integrated into the instrument panel. The specifics of how to deliver those alerts are still in development. Even if it doesn't give pilots enough time to steer around the threat, a 60-second war warning could be a major improvement over conventional methods of turbulence detection which rely on reports from aircraft flying the same routes and general pre uh, precautions around active weather systems at best those systems can help pilots avoid turbulent areas but not predict when the air gets choppy from one instant to the next and systems that use radars to bounce radio waves off the water droplets don't work for spotting clear air turbulence and with a minute's warnings passenger passengers could buckle up uh, flight attendants could stop their coffee pots and take their own seats um so um that's an interesting development although i did notice when i was coming across the north atlantic on tuesday the slightest
ghost wobble on our 787, which was barely noticeable, mm. and the seatbelt signs on, mm. uh, and then it stayed on for an hour. Now, I do concede really? that I, do, I don't have a radar, uh, weather radar in front of me, but uh, right. I think the guys up front could have done a slightly better job of that. <gasps> um, but, um, mm. you know, perhaps that's were, how it is perhaps they were. Perhaps they forgot. Perhaps they forgot. I, that I they think put, they did. Yes. Right, yes, they sort of forgotten yeah. that the air... It's kind of a story, when you sort of read the headline, you kind of think of the... Um, Oh, kind of the, head, the laser beam shooting laser beams. What is it? The uh, oh, I forget the film now. Oh, the several. Uh, oh, um, um, uh, a gold member, isn't it? Beams, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's uh, Austin Powers Austin is Powers, the film he's thinking it. of. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Austin Powers. Yes, yeah, yeah. When you when you're busy firing, you're firing a laser. Laser. Yeah, absolutely. Sharks, isn't it? It's sharks yes, in a tank with, with lasers. lasers. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but anybody yeah. who's not seen that film, you need to see it because <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, <laughs> if, if this works, it'll be really good. I think um, being able to detect stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's new stuff coming on all the time. They're testing to try and you know predict predict obviously bad weather and well stuff like that it's a good idea hmm. especially for people who are nervous flyers yes yes all right yes that would be that'll be that directed at me bunny just oh. <laughs> yeah. so next Indeed. story yes uh, next story uh, and this this should be uh which carlos is about to read in a moment this should be your next target by the way because uh, we've tried a couple of times to get hold of this particular individual so, i know uh, i do try. nev it's your it, this is your mission with this story to see if you can get an interview because because okay. uh, the strap line is where air transport intelligence meets the passenger experience yeah it's mary kirby mm. and uh, this yes. one is on the <laughs> runway girl Network. no pressure nev yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to get Mary on the show for ages, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this one, is, like I said, is on the Runway Girl Network, Mary Kirby's uh, awesome site, and yep. uh, her headline on air, How Airbus is Accommodating Qantas A380 Refit. Now, I've seen the pictures of these online over the last uh, week or so, and, and some of the, the pictures w- uh, which are coming online look, look quite nice, actually. But uh, very few aviation industry observers would have predicted Qantas to have selected Airbus as the overall partner for its 12 A380 aircraft as the airline seeks to fully revamp the upper deck and perform a lighter refresh on the main deck. Yet Airbus has been quietly uh, looking to do more of this kind of refurbishment work for some time. It's interesting that Qantas, which has its own large maintenance repair and overhaul operation for other aircraft in its fleet in Brisbane, as well as a much shorter route to the generally lower-priced MRO operations in Asia, would uh, select Airbus for this work. Airbus uh, will be responsible for the overall upper deck integration uh, the airframer notes uh, and of this type work is likely uh, a significant part of Qantas a selection uh, of the original equipment manufacturer for the task there will be uh, there will need a cert- be a certain amount of certification and recertification during the process and it takes a good amount of sense that Airbus is closely involved uh, to RGN's knowledge for example uh, this will be the first Airbus A380 cabin with the Thompson Aero seating vantage XL seat. Blimey, say that after a few beers. Uh, Qantas Brands, as its business suite, as well as the airline's premium economy seat, unveiled early this year and also produced by Thomson. It's not just seating either, and with the airline interiors industry not exactly showering itself in glory in the recent years, with its ability to produce monuments and other cabin items to spec and on time, the move may well signify that airlines and indeed airframers have had enough. In addition, Airbus will develop a specific tailored monument 
monuments for Qantas and a new and unique business lounge area in the forward upper deck. The airframer says the lounge work will be carried out in conjunction with Qantas designer David Cahun, who also collaborated with the airline on its present business and premium economy seating. Now, Matt was putting the pictures on the screen there as I was reading that there, and um, you know, this is again, this is something that unless you're incredibly rich. Right. Or have many air miles, you probably will never get the chance to see. But the seats no. do look really good from Thompson, they do. actually, on there. They here. do, actually, Very yeah. comfy, I will say. It certainly does, um, yeah. Even the business class uh, seats, lie flat ones, uh, look quite nice with the dividing screens that come up in between. Even the well, ordinary so. ones looked all right, to be honest. Like the premium Connery yeah. looked, looked pretty fancy. The Sean Connerys, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> A premium economy, yes. <laughs> oh, I see. Yes, yes. But sorry, no, it's... Missed it's, that. I know. <laughs> Having flown on one of Qantas's A380s, I, I will say it was it was nice. Their, was their original right, was cabin it? was good. Yes. Yeah, the, okay. the economy section was comfy. Good, good. Mm. That's what we like to hear. So, so uh, next story. Yeah, uh, the next another story. Airbus story. This one. Yes. Okay. This especially is, for Nick. Right. This, this is on one. the Composites manufacturing website, and the headline is Airbus to test new oh. laminar wing. Uh, what's a laminar wing? All, all, all become clear in a moment. Uh, on the A340, according to a report from Flight Global, Airbus will soon start flight testing an A340 that has been fitted with experimental laminar flow wing sections. The effort is part of a larger EU-funded technology project dubbed the Breakthrough Laminar Aircraft Demonstrator in Europe to assess the industrial feasibility of natural laminar flow wings on future aircraft. The Blade project represents the largest part of Airbus's estimated 330 euro, 330 million euro uh, contribution to the EU's current Clean Sky 2 initiative, a multi-year program that includes other projects in advanced technology for more efficient aircraft, engines, helicopters and onboard systems. Many modern aircraft, including the Boeing Dreamliner, um, feature hybrid laminar low flow wings which are artificially induced through hardware. According to Axel Flaig, who's the v senior vice president of research and technology for Airbus's commercial aircraft division, the benefits of the laminar airflow have been known for about 20 years but have never really been put into into practice. He says that this is because it hasn't been possible to produce the in, on industrial scale wings uh, that are smooth enough to achieve a laminar airflow and aerodynamically robust enough to achieve the desired effect in daily airline operations. For laminar profiles it is important that they are extremely smooth with precisely finished surfaces. This means building wings without rivets or other factors could disrupt um, so, uh, this means that building wings without rivets or other factors that could disrupt the airflow. This reduces fuel consumption and CO2 emissions. Airbus has replaced the entire wing section of the A340 outside the on outside the outboard engines with a laminar flow section that has a different that has a different geometry. The wingtips have been fitted with pods containing sensors and video cameras. The attachment structure to the A340 wing, existing wing has also been covered by fairings to accommodate further sensors and separate the air over the laminar flow section from that across the conventional wing. The new wing section contains no fuel f system but is otherwise fully functional and includes the aircraft's two uh, airlons on each side. The interior structure is metallic while the upper wing service 
where the laminar flow is achieved is made from CR, CFRP, whatever one of those is. Uh, Reinforced uh, fiberglass. Right, okay. Different construction techniques were employed for the leading edge and upper wing skin to assess the feasibility of the different manufacturing approaches. On the port wing, the leading edge is integrated with the upper wing surface on a single D-nose carbon fibre panel provided by Saab, which is equipped with internal attachment points to avoid any external fasteners um, from the leading edge to just forward of the uh, ailerons. Uh, on the starboard side, a metallic leading edge is joined with a carbon fibre upper wing surface uh, supplied by GKN Aerospace. So there's a lot of things to get very confused uh, in there. So basically, the, it's basically more streamlined, so there's no, um, there's no issues um, with... Uh, with that, so that that could be quite interesting. Yeah, I was looking yeah. up uh, on uh, on 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 the interweb about this laminar flow thing because I wanted it. What is this? I've heard of it, uh, never really looked into it at all in great detail. But uh, this laminar flow, if you imagine what a normal aircraft wing looks like and how the wing is uh, designed for the airflow to go over, a laminar wing is designed in such a way that the airflow going over. Uh, is less turbulent, so it's less. Um, what do you call it? It's less um, messed around with right. as it's flowing okay. over. So it's you know imagine an, uh, an aircraft wing as being streamlined. A laminar wing is incredibly streamlined. You know, so right. it cuts through the air a lot more efficiently. And obviously, when you've got a wing that uh, cuts through the air a lot more efficiently, yeah. it's going to burn less fuel. Okay, and it will be a lot more, you know, more fuel efficient for the mm. aircraft. Okay, so we have an example of this, which um, which you've managed to find online, I think, haven't you? Or yeah, yeah. This, uh, this is the aircraft in question. Mm. So that's the uh, the Airbus A340, which uh, is uh, very well. It was the aircraft that uh, Captain Nick flies, actually, right. for okay. for um, Acme Red. And uh, if you look at the end of the wing, which you can see on the picture in front mm -hmm. of us there, for those of you guys watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see. But on the end of the wing, you'll see this laminar flow wing, which has been added to the uh, kind of added to the end of the wing there and it's uh, so is it like a, like a, a fancy sharklet but not no it, it's it's just it just it's more to put it in easy um terms it's yeah. it's it's an incredibly aerodynamic wing right okay more aerodynamic because there's no rivets and all wing. that kind of yeah, thing so it's completely it's, yeah, yeah. it's a different shape as well if you uh, for those of you uh, in the world of google if you mm -hmm. google uh, laminar wing laminar flow wing yeah uh, you'll see that uh, compared to a traditional aircraft wing it is very very different in shape right okay cool yeah. so moving on yeah to the next story and uh, this one is we bring the new stories up Indeed, here this is with sir nev yeah yeah and it's a top ten. <coughs> oh. oh dear! Right, okay. He says so. so I, hope you, I hope you're already, uh, uh, Matt. I am. The, yes, uh, but only the, just. the music yeah. bed, as yes. they say. Here we go. Then here so we this, go. So this top ten is the top ten longest flights in the world. Okay, and at number ten, it's Dubai to Houston on Emirates. So at number nine, it's the Doha to Los Angeles, uh, Qatar Airways. And they launched air flights in January 2016, covering a distance of 13,367 kilometres. What number are we up to? Number eight next. Uh, number eight, please, Nev. Sorry, Jenna I was a little distracted. Did that, did that show at all? <laughs> number eight, please, Nev. <laughs> 
Jeddah to Los Angeles but on Saudi. Saudi Arabia's national carrier also makes the list with its LA offering, which is which is operated since March 2014. The flight uses the Boeing 777 and covers 13,381 kilometers in just over 16 hours. Brand new and shiny at number seven. Uh, number seven, it's Dubai to Los Angeles, LA with Emirates. So the journey from Dubai to LA is only slightly shorter at 13,414 miles. We are almost halfway there. It is number six. At number six, it's Abu Dhabi to Los Angeles on Etihad. Etihad's flight from the UAE to the US is the longest the Abu Dhabi-based airline offers, covering a distance of 13,473 kilometres in the Boeing 777. The airline has operated the flight, which just which takes just over 16 hours, since June 2014. The desire there, every time you hear the word Abu Dhabi, is to just do some kind of Abu Dhabi do. I, I, the <laughs> urge is just and make, it, um, make it a comedy moment. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, number five. Number five, it's San Francisco to Singapore with Singapore Airlines and United Airlines. Both Singapore Airlines and United Airlines offer non-stop flights between San Francisco and Singapore. Uh, United launched its Boeing 787-9 Dreamliner service in 2016. Singapore Airlines followed in October using the A350. The journey spans 13,572 miles. We're nearly there. It is number four. Number four is Johannesburg to Atlanta on Delta Airlines, and the American car uh, carrier began operating its direct service to South Africa in June 2009 using the Boeing 777. The 13,581 kilometer flight clocks in at approximately 16 hours and 40 minutes. Ooh. It's the top three. We're at number three. Number three, Dallas to Sydney with Qantas. So Ooh. Australia's national carrier launched its non-stop service to Texas in September 2014. The 13,800-kilometer-mile uh, journey takes 15 hours and 30 minutes in the A380. It is almost at the top of the chart. It is our new entry at number two. Number two is Auckland to Dubai on Emirates, and the previous record holder, Emirates, has been operating the direct flight to New Zealand's largest city since March 2016. Using the Airbus A380, the flight covers 14,193 kilometres and takes just over 17 hours. Finally, it's top of the pops. It is the number one. It is... Number one, Auckland to Doha with Qatar, 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 whatever you want to call it. It's the Q airline. Now, now don't we have it on good authority from Sir Grant of McCarran that it is Qatar? Okay, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so Qatar Airways claimed the record for the world's longest flight when it launched its non-stop service to New Zealand in February. The long-range Boeing 777 covers 14,535 kilometres and crosses 10 time zones during the journey which clocks in at around 17 hours and 30 minutes wow gosh that is a long flight isn't it oh dear there we go and and uh, without doubt not one for me i've got to be oh, 17, 17 hours, hours 30 minutes aluminium awesome. tube is just awesome my idea of a living hell yeah but their, anyway. their ife is awesome <laughs> so it'll be it'll be a good flight you'd, you'd enjoy that I well believe. yeah i dare say i dare say don't forget we've got the uh, perth to london flights coming up uh, that'll be a direct one and then they're talking about uh 2022 uh it's non-stop flights between sydney and london which will cover 17,000 kilometers and take just over 20 hours if you can stomach it. I mean, I, I could stomach wow. it in business. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, I, mean, that's, <laughs> I think we that's, could all stomach yeah, well, it in this business, is it. Yeah, but fair. can you imagine an economy? I mean, it's just it's just too long. It's yeah, but you, you, long. honestly, all yeah. jokes aside, you do tend to find that even with a long-haul uh, airline such as Emirates, Qatar, or yeah. Etihad, okay. the economy sections generally tend yeah. to have a little bit more legroom than yeah, normal yeah. standard okay. airlines. Yeah, all right then. Okay, so we're going to bash straight on then, guys. That is the end of the commercial section. Uh, we're going to move straight on to uh, doing a spot of military. So if everybody is ready... Yes. Let's go. And the first news story then in the military segment for this week. We hadn't had one for ages. Yes, so, that's uh, usually Captain Al's fault. It's those dull grey things, as he always calls And Jonathan them. Warner will be happy. He anyway. will, yes, absolutely. So the first news story this week then, it's Royal Air Force's website, this one. And uh, the headline then, the Royal Air Force Hercules enables Royal Marines to deploy to Turk and Caicos Islands following the hurricanes. So Royal Air Force uh, Hercules, uh, on the 11th of September, uh, flew into the um, Turks and Caicos Islands uh, with a team of Royal Marines uh, to well to the hurricane stricken um, islands where Irma and obviously uh, the well it's been really bad there let's be honest it's been a real terrible time for those guys out there so the C-130J was the first military aircraft to arrive in the Turks and Caicos Islands it joins a fleet of Royal Air Force transport aircraft and nearly 700 military and specialist civilian personnel supporting the Department for International Aid with the delivery of humanitarian aid and disaster relief to the British overseas territories in the Caribbean since the 8th of September the Royal Air Force has flown more than 20 sorties within the Caribbean, moving more than 700 passengers into and around the region and delivering more than 70 tonnes of freight uh, to hurricane-stricken communities. This has included more than 20 Royal Marines from C Company uh, uh, 40 Commando who have deployed to support Her Majesty's Governor of the Turks and Caicos Islands, more than 200 Royal Marines from 40 Commando and 3 Commando Brigade who are supporting the uh, in urgent humanitarian work in the British Virgin Islands and also 16 officers from the Royal Cayman Islands Police Service who are supporting the British Virgin Islands with policing. More than 50 officers from the UK's International Police Response Cadre who will be sworn in as British Virgin Island Police Officers to support the territory with uh, community and public order policing. Um, uh, the Royal Air Force uh, uh, aircraft operating within the Caribbean are managed by 38 Expeditionary Air Wing, or the 38th Air Wing, based at a logistics hub in Barbados. The uh, Air Wing is supported by elements of the Royal Air Force's mobility uh, fleet, comprising of C-17 Strategic Lift Aircraft, A-400M Atlas, and C-130J Hercules aircraft, uh, transport aircraft, and Voyager, the A330 MRTT as well, uh, to carry passengers. More than 90 regular and reserve Royal Air Force personnel are assigned to 38 Air Wing, including logistics, uh, RAF police, administrative staff, engineers, operation personnel, uh, principally from RAF Bryce Norton here in the UK, and RAF Northolt. So it's good. I mean, the aid's getting out there. Mm. You know, our guys yeah. are... Um, but again, as as uh, you know, perhaps a little bit too late, as was alluded mm, to in last week's show. Perhaps the response was a bit a bit disappointed, but at least they're sort of on it now, and, mm, and you know, very much so. Pretty it's much good yeah, on. getting there. Yeah, absolutely. On to the next story. This is on the Flight Global website, and uh, apparently, um, this article will only be accessed by 
Flight Dashboard subscribers. Okay, so the next story then, which uh, Matt can't access, this one is on Flight Global. I'll read it again, don't Thank panic. You. Okay. Uh, this one is uh, good news for fans of the B 52. And uh, Rolls Royce offers BR 725 for B 52 re engine effort. So Rolls Royce is pitching the BR 725 for the US Air Force's B 52 bomber re engine effort. Though the service has yet to be established, a program or record or release or requests for proposals. Momentum has increased on the engine replacement as more responses to the USAF's B-52H engine alternative study have poured in, says Tom Hartman, uh, Rolls-Royce North America's Senior Vice President of Customer Business. Despite an accident in January that uh, dropped one TF-33 engine from a bomber during the training mission, uh, Rolls-Royce has no sense of uh, has no sense of when an RFP could drop or when the USAF could fit the engine replacement in its budget. And uh, this is um, obviously the B-52 is, is um, we've seen one of these yeah. at Pittsburgh. We yeah, stood yeah. We underneath one at Pittsburgh. We were, yeah. And uh, some of the guys, uh, the team actually went inside the B-52 mm. as well. And I think, you know, they've, they've increased the... Um, um, the, the, le- you know, the, the, the length of service for this aircraft to another f- nearly 50 years, I think. Yeah, Jeff. it's crazy. Yeah, Something yeah, along those good, lines, good, and good. Um, obviously um, the engine re uh, upgrade is something that this aircraft, the B fifty two, I think definitely needs. Mm. Um, they say on the story here that the new engines could offer uh, obviously a reduced number of uh, refueling uh, mm. times it needs, and also provide a thirty four percent improvement in fuel, wow. uh, which is also going to be good because the B fifty two does have a lot of engines. Well, yes, yes, uh, but I mean, it, I mean, it's a very old airframe, though. Oh isn't yeah, it? I mean, it's, that's incredibly the crazy old. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Incredibly old so next story nev or the last one in the uh, list here yeah this is also on flight global and it says the u.s air force awards boeing a 600 million dollar contract towards air force one and the u.s air force uh, awarded this contract to begin uh, begin preliminary design work to modify two 747-8s to replace the air force one fleet the service announces on the 13th of september the contract modification includes incorporating the new presidential aircraft's mission communication system electrical power upgrades a medical facility executive interior self-defense system and autonomous ground operations capability onto two Boeing 747-8. The USAF will replace two 747-200 based VC-25As delivered in 1991 with two 7478s originally built for Russian carrier Transaero, which filed for bankruptcy in 2015 before it could take delivery. Though that move has been touted by the White House as a cost-saving measure, the USAF and Boeing will continue looking for ways to shed costs during the preliminary design phase. Following the award of the contract to purchase two commercial 747 aircraft, this contract award is the next major step towards uh, uh, ensuring an overall affordable program, says Presidential Airlift Recapitalization Program Executive Officer Major General Duke Richardson in a statement this week. Can you imagine what his business card would look like (laughs) with with a title like that? (laughs) And it says the uh, USAF expects to award the engineering, manufacturing and development contract by summer of 2018 and the 
the contract will lead the program through aircraft modification, test and delivery. Because those uh, Dash 200s are getting on a bit. Getting on a bit, yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. It, it's going to be really great to see what these uh, the Dash 8s look like in the uh, Air mm. Force One yeah. colours for sure. But yep. uh, this, I mean, this is this is not going to be a, like a two-minute thing. You know, the the whole conversion process from turning these into passenger aircraft into what essentially is a flying command centre is uh, something well, yes. that's going to take a, a little you know, a little while, I think. No, indeed, this is this is it. So, uh, well, moving on then, Matt, uh, to the well, we, have we got to say goodbye? Yeah, to we Nef? have. Unfortunately, we've got to say goodbye to one of our co-hosts because he no! has an aeroplane that he needs to get on. And uh, to be honest, I mean, if if he's not there, then the lounge won't have all its goodies eaten, uh, and there's no two ways about that. So <laughs> we can't have them getting away with with food going to good waste now, can we, Nev? So qu- uh, quiet, quiet. <laughs> yeah. So before Indeed. before you go, Nev, what uh, for all the stalkers out there? What 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 are you flying home for? On? All the stalkers out there that's horrible <laughs> <laughs> hashtag awkward yes well, indeed we, I'm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm on united <laughs> airlines uh ua 918 from washington dulles to london heathrow uh, which leaves dulles at uh 18:25 local and will get me to heathrow at quarter to seven tomorrow morning what's the aircraft of choice the, uh, just hope that the uh, immigration process is a bit better than it was it coming, was coming in. It yes, was indeed. Disgraceful. Are you dreaming? Uh, that's on a, uh, a Boeing oh. uh, 787-9. Ooh, and uh, it was very nice coming out. And that reduced cabin altitude. That's the first time I've experienced yes. a flight on it. It really does make a difference. I, know, no I, t- I tell you what, because you, you flew on something similar, didn't you, when you came back from... Oh, yeah, I was on a Dash 9. Yeah, yeah he was on Canada. a Dash when he, ca- when he yeah. came back. And uh, it was hilarious because he and I had basically both done exactly the same flight. Uh, and I... I look like I'd been round the world three times in this crappy aircraft that I was stuck in and looked like death. And Carlos looked like he'd just flown to Edinburgh and back. <laughs> it was yeah. just, it was just no, that. No, I'll tell you good. what, all jokes aside though, it, it's amazing how much, as, as Nev's saying, it, it's amazing how much of a difference that slightly, lo- it's not much lower, is it? But it's a tiny bit lower. It makes a huge difference to the, uh, to, to, to your experience as a oh, passenger. Yeah. It, it's really yeah. good. Yeah. So the, uh, the air is certainly l- less dry and um, yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to see what it's like tomorrow morning because obviously those overnight flights are always difficult when, when you land and you, mm. you feel as though you want to go to bed but you really should be awake. So um, yeah. yeah, looking forward to that. But they, they've done a great job on that, I must say, and I think that's going to be the future and which, uh, for which a lot, airline of, a lot is of aircraft. Uh, this is with United. United. Um, with United? So, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so uh, they, they've they done a nice job, and I think it'll be the future, uh, because I think uh, as more and more aircraft are made out of composite materials, so yeah. they can actually do this uh, yeah. lower uh, passenger, lower, lower cabin altitude, I think it'll be great. And that's yeah. exactly what people want if they're going to be doing that really ultra-long-haul stuff that we mm. talked about earlier in the show. Yeah. My first Dreamliner experience, I have to say, was on the uh, BA's Dash Nine. Oh, was it? So okay. yeah, right. yeah, and that was very good. Just just to make Nev feel better. Indeed, indeed. So, so we're gonna we're gonna say a massive thank you, are. Nev, for yeah. you for joining us uh, from across the Plus pond you today. Yeah, I hope yeah. you have a safe journey home and uh, don't uh, don't make too much of a mess of the IFE <laughs> on the way back. How <laughs> rude. <laughs> 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 oh dear. But uh, yeah, well, hope everyone has a nice weekend and uh, uh, hope you uh, have a nice rest of the show, guys, as well. Thank we you. will, yeah. Safe flight, safe flight, safe flight. Everybody say goodbye today. Everyone say goodbye. Bye bye. See you. Bye. Bye. So, first off, welcome on to the show back again, Pip. How are things with you? What have you been up to? Where have you been? What have you been doing? 
Very well. Thanks very much, guys. Um, yes, all well. I'm here, actually, in one of the most beautiful spots in all of Europe. Um, it's a bit dark now, so I can't show you out the window, unfortunately. But I'm in Lugano in Switzerland. Oh, Switzerland? Wow. Oh, yeah. I think it's Switzerland. It's right on the Swiss-Italian border. Um, okay, we're, but, not, we're, uh, we're, not, we're not going down the route of pilots not knowing exactly where they are again, are we? <laughs> like, like what happened last week. <laughs> yeah, but it's a lovely, lovely airport to fly into. One of those mountainous uh, alpine resorts. Wow. Uh, great fun to fly into. Quite a steep approach and quite tricky. And the weather's a little bit naff today. Yeah. Uh, not, not ideal flying weather, but still no. acceptable. Um, but it's beautiful. I might post a picture tomorrow of the Do lake you? and yes. the mountains just outside me here. It's, uh, it's, it's gorgeous. Yep. What, was, what was the aircraft of choice today, then, Pip? Same as always, the uh, lovely Hawker 800. Oh, lovely. Charlie's ah. Delta Romeo uniform today. It's probably one of the only 10 or 12 we've got left at the moment. Ooh. Wow. wow. Yeah. Mm. So have you, have you started your training on, on, on the replacement? The, fen- the phenom. That will be next month, right. uh, 7th of... October. I'm due to head out to okay. uh, to Columbus, Ohio, to start three weeks of training. Wow! According to Lane Street in the chat room, uh, he said that uh, Pip has wore. He's obviously wearing his finest T-shirt <laughs> to compete with Nev this in is his my, suit. This is my uniform T-shirt. I'll yeah. have you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Where is that Nev? Is he gone? He's not listening, is he? No, he's probably. Gone. Yeah, no, well, he's probably <laughs> listening. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's supposed to be getting on an aeroplane, but <laughs> he is prone to hanging around just in case we start yeah. misbehaving. <laughs> but uh, well, so uh, um, Pip, we, we we welcome you for for a very special event, really, because uh, we're going we're going to do something a bit different with your usual segment this evening. We are. Well, it's a usual segment. The only difference is that I'm delivering it live Ooh. right here to you because I need some a bit of audience participation for this okay, one. So we need the chat room. So chat room, if you're listening, <laughs> put your tea down, turn the yeah. telly off. Concentrate, everyone. Flush yes. the loo, pull your trousers up, and come and pay attention for a couple <laughs> of minutes. Oh, we're, could, please. we're into the Captain L realms all of a sudden. Uh, yes. <laughs> Indeed. So, um, uh, right, but I, I refuse to do this until I've heard that gorgeous voice introduce me, that sexy silky smooth voice you know the one carlos plane safety from the flight deck with pilot pip well i need i need a moment now (laughs) that's nice i need to meet her by the way you need to set this up carl No. Moving on. (laughs) Well, listen, we've got a very special segment. Um, We're going to play a little game, first of all, before we get uh, too far into it. So I'm going to need some audience participation. We've got a video to watch. Hopefully Matt's got the video ready to go. I have. Okay, you wait for it. Not yet. Okay. And, well, to be a pilot, a professional pilot, and lots of other professions as well bus drivers and uh all sorts of things you need to have a pretty good uh skill when it comes to concentration you need to be able to concentrate and accurately analyze a changing situation so we're going to play a little game to test to see how well you can concentrate on a task so this is for you two boys there in the studio and for everyone in the chat room as well to play along uh, now, if you're not watching this live, as most of you won't be, you're just listening to the podcast, you can still play this as well. Just uh, Matt's going to put the link to the video in the show notes. Yep. So uh, you can, in a second, pause the podcast, go and watch the video, then come back to us. Okay. Uh, and I will just say, if, if you've seen this video before and you know the answer to the quiz, 
then keep it to yourself. Let everyone else in the chat room have a crack at uh, getting the right answer. Okay, just hold fire for a second if you already know the answer. So this is a test of your concentration, chat room. You're going to need to watch this video very closely. And I'm going to ask you for a number. Okay, what you're going to see is two teams of basketball players. You're going to have a team in black t-shirts and you're going to have a team in white t-shirts and they're both going to be passing a ball to each other. And it's very simple. All I want you to do is to tell me how many times the white team, the people in the white t-shirts, pass the ball to each other. Okay? So it moves quite quickly. They pass it at a reasonable speed. So you have to pay attention. Watch the video closely. And then I'll ask you at the end just to post a number in the chat room. Just tell me how many times the white team passes the ball to each other. Is that fairly straightforward for everyone? Sounds good to me. So, okay, if everybody is watching, it's about 25 seconds long. It's 25 seconds long, and there is Ooh. no sound with it. So I will, for the purposes of the audio version, Are you all ready have to in trim the this. You two as well. I want an yep. answer from you two. Okay, all right. So we're all going to sit here. Uh, everybody do something they don't normally do, which is maximise your YouTube window and uh, put it on full screen. So we're going to play. So everybody concentrate. We're going to play the video for okay. you right now. How many times does the white team pass the ball? go so that that was hmm. all you got <laughs> how many passes did you count uh, well Jeff okay, uh, well while, while we're waiting for the chat room to catch up with us yeah. um, let's have your answer uh, Matthew did you count and did you have an answer? I did I do have an answer and I went with 21 21 controversial yeah. oh controversial. is it okay all right okay mr. mr. Stebbings did you have an answer yeah I, Tell me. I counted 13. Did you? 13. Yeah. Okay, well, look, we're getting some answers from the chat we room. Are, Richard yeah. King says 15. Mark Collins says 14. Lane Street says 15. Jeff Felmuth, he's a bit of an expert, he says 15. Yes. As does Graham English. Jennifer got 13. Okay. Uh, oh, Jeff Felmuth's author got 99, so I take that back. He's right. not an expert at all. <laughs> <laughs> you can always rely on our chat room to really, to really concentrate. Any more answers okay. from the chat room? Any more answers coming in uh, before we move? Oh. So, well, it seems to be 14 and 15. And did, did yeah. you say 23, Matt? I did, yes. But then I, I'm oh, not a pilot. So. Doubly <laughs> okay. if, you're, if you're right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick you under yeah. the table. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, Mash well, already knows the video. Yeah, okay. So, so Mash is not okay, allowed to Okay, Mash, yeah, yeah. So Mash is an expert. <laughs> well, listen, before I tell you the correct answer, okay. I just want to talk about something else for a second, and that's task fixation. And this is a phenomenon identified a long time ago, all the way back to the Second World War. In fact, they used to call it target fixation, when a, a pilot, a fighter pilot or a bomber pilot would become so engrossed in his target, staring at the target, so um, sort of tunnel visioned towards his target that he would just not see anything else going on around him. And often these guys would be so fixated on the target that they would actually crash into it. Oh, wow. And yeah, and it, it happens in things like um, bike racing, motorbike racing. Uh, the uh, racers are so kind of so engrossed on what it is they're doing. You know, they just tend to follow their gaze and sometimes they'll just drive off the road and crash. Mm. And uh, this has been identified in lots of different accidents and we'll talk about that in a second. 
but the, the, it's just a human sort of precondition. You just become so focused on something, you just you're blind to everything else that's going on. So, uh, twenty three we had, we had thirteens, we had fourteens, we had fifteens. Uh, apart from Masher, who already knows the answer. Did anyone see anything other than a basketball being passed around Ooh. in the chat room, guys? Did you see anything else? Don't say what. No. Did you see anything else? I you didn't see anything. Else? <laughs> I didn't see anything else being passed around. <laughs> okay. Well, to tell you what, Matt, can we oh. replay that video? Yes, of course. Yeah, replay. absolutely. And this yeah. time, okay. this time, everybody, don't time. count. You don't okay. need to concentrate. Just watch the video. Okay. And tell me if you see anything unusual. And okay. I promise you, this is the same video. Okay. Go ahead. I promise you it's the it's same the video. I only have, I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, I only have one video oh loaded my into God. my playout system here, and it is that one video. Are you joking me? No, I really? promise so you, hand on heart, there is no trickery going on there. Pip sent me one video, I've played it out, Gemma can confirm she actually spotted it first time round, and I'm, well, I, I feel like a right moron now, <laughs> Well, Joe, no, because I, the first time I saw that in a training yeah. session many years ago, I if you haven't seen it, if you watched the video a second time and you still didn't see it, yeah. well, there's no hope for no, you. No, but no, you can't help but fail to notice the large gorilla Shaped that walks across thing. the screen, yeah. stops, casually waves to the camera and walks off again. I mean, in the uh, chat room. So this is a... In the chat room, Tony Tony's saying that the, that's not the same video. Yeah, and, I know. I promise um, you, Tony, it's the same video. Yeah. yeah, I promise you, on my vMix software here, I only have one video loaded, and that was the the video that Pip sent to me this afternoon that I was told I wasn't allowed to watch. I just had to sort of include it into the playout system. And, uh, uh, yeah, well, and Gemma probably wasn't counting. <laughs> yeah, that's probably because she wasn't Oh, Gemma says oh, she's seen the video before. before. So that, yeah, so now, this is a well-known experiment, actually. There's various um, variations on that, but it all um, demonstrates the same flaw, I suppose, in, in the way our brains work, that we just become fixated on this target. And it's a real danger for pilots as well and air crews. It's been the cause of several accidents and the one and the why, reason i thought of this was because more recently we will remember the air canada incident just a month or two ago where that uh, aircraft almost landed on the taxiway yeah and we've all been talking and, and debating and saying how, how on earth was it possible it must have been so obvious to these guys that they were not landing on the runway that they were lined up with a taxiway it was as plain as the nose on your face but here it is it's a great demonstration of how blind we can be once we're once we've got a target in sight and we're committed you could just be blind to all else you could be you know people waving at you and alarms going off but when you're in the zone you're going for it and of course the the most famous example of this phenomenon was the uh, everglades crash i forget the exact flight number now but there was a, a lockheed tristar i think it was wasn't it carlos yeah the tristar l1011 yeah Mm. Yeah, they were they were faced with a really very minor and unimportant uh, yeah, malfunction. Was, uh, they had a, a broken bulb essentially. That was on an undercarriage, gear. yeah, light bulb. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a, yeah it was a landing gear, like totally inconsequential. It wasn't a safety issue, but somehow it consumed the attention of all three people in the flight deck. 
yeah. and they failed to notice that they were actually in a slow descent and they just carried on down until they crashed uh, into the Everglades without ever realising what had happened, all because of a light bulb. Yeah, that was Eastern it's Airlines amazing. 401, that was. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, Eastern Airlines So, you know, it could be, it could be um, equipment problems like that. It can just be getting uh, mixed up with a, an abnormal situation. You know, maybe you've got a sick passenger or you're having to run sort of some sort of checklist and you just get caught up uh, in the checklist. Or more rarely, it's this target fixation, which was more of a military pilot sort of problem. But certainly you could say it was target fixation for the uh, Air Canada lot the other month. And, you know, I, I almost pilots are, are predisposed for this uh, condition because pilots generally not exclusively but they're generally sort of um, task oriented people task orientated people get my words out um, they you know they're used to completing tasks and they're used to completing tasks successfully so they don't like it when they've come up with something that they can't solve you know they want to direct more attention to it until they can uh, get the result they want and it can lead them down this path so um, there's all sorts of things you can do about it following SOPs of course is the the number one thing uh, you know having someone always flying the aircraft uh, aviate navigate communicate that golden rule uh, and it's something you know it's such a, a basic core skill that gets drilled into us from day one fly the damn aircraft mm. but it's so easy to get sidetracked and you know everyone wants to be helpful and it's just too easy to direct your concentration elsewhere and i think that video is just a wonderful demonstration of exactly that and i promise you it's the same video yeah and the first yeah, I time i saw it myself. i was like that cannot yeah. be the same video how yeah. could you possibly oh, not see a six foot gorilla but yeah. more in importantly though yeah i guess say th th there's one burning question yet. please pip tony you must s answer as tony s has said in the chat room there what on earth was the actual count come on how many passes were there <laughs> oh i've absolutely no oh. idea <laughs> oh. oh rubbish oh. <laughs> go back and watch it to your heart's content yeah. <laughs> it really okay. isn't important no okay. i think actually if you watch the full video and you YouTube, it does give you the correct answer. Okay, right, yeah. I'm sure it's not as high as 23, though. No, okay, all right, yeah. <laughs> or 99, Jeff Felmuth. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, well, what can, what so can I say? So there it is. What can I say, uh, Pip? That was a brilliant, brilliant segment. Uh, and uh, you, you always say you have to over-edit your things. You don't need to. You're a very good live, sir. You don't need to worry about that. That was, that was very, very entertaining. So, um Yes, after, what was that? So afterwards we were all tested on the recordings. Yes, no, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yes, so that's where we bring uh, the, uh, this uh, particular segment to a close. <laughs> I think we should hear, I think we should hear that, that, uh, that jingle one last time. Okay, please do. <laughs> Plane safety from the flight deck with Pilot Pip. Oh, oh I know. Oh, I know, absolutely. <laughs> I am trying to persuade both Rob and uh, Lai, uh, who do our, our voiceovers and stuff, I am trying to persuade them to actually come to uh, to our 200th. Um, so you may yet yeah. get to meet Ooh, the lady exciting. that does our, our beautiful voice for us. Mm. But, uh, there, so do you need to run off, sir, or are you able to stick around till the end of the show? I, I, I can stick around, but I can go and get back in my box if you want. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. No, no so, we're, well, not, we're not like uh, uh, Jeff with APG. I mean, Jeff keeps, <laughs> Jeff keeps hell out. 
in a, in a box in in his room. Does yeah, he? Yeah, he just yeah. gets him out yeah, just in the, in the show to, right. to, to sort of say the disclaimer at the end of the show. Oh, that's very good of him. And then he puts yeah. him back in the box Does again. He? Poor <laughs> Halal. Honestly, that, do, you, do you think he minds? I don't know. <laughs> no, we, we, okay. we won't keep you in a box anyway, Pip. No, 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 indeed. Thank you. Yeah, indeed. So moving on, we have got uh, two bits of. Um, well, we've got uh, some voice. Well, it's a kind of story feedback that's been yeah, sent to absolutely. us. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We're going to do uh, this uh, now. Uh, he's actually in the chat room here, so it's lovely to, to have him uh, participate. And um, everybody who is anybody uh, will know, obviously, that um, a very tragic event took place um, uh, several years ago now uh, on uh, 9-11. And... Um, I've been lucky enough that uh, having been friends with uh, Jeff on uh, Facebook, uh, I've had the privilege of reading this story for a couple of years now, uh, and um, it's very kindly been voiced uh, by the man himself. It is, I promise you, please, everybody, stop what you're doing for a moment and listen to this, because this is, uh, I think, it's basically a pilot's account of what happened on that terrible day. Hello. My name is Jeff Feldman. I'm currently a captain at American Airlines flying 737s. But on September 11, 2001, I was a first officer flying the 767 on day four of a four-day trip. And this is my story of that day. It was a beautiful morning, both in Caracas, where we were departing from, and in Kennedy, which was our final destination, is where I am based. Uh, we were scheduled to depart at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we did so, uh, taking off out of Caracas right at 8 o'clock on our way up to New York, where we knew is a beautiful, cloudless, beautiful, gorgeous summer day. Everything was normal until we were handed off by uh, the Venezuelan air traffic controllers to San Juan Center. And as we checked in with San Juan Center, their first words to us after we checked in was that, American, you need to check with your company Kennedy is closed. At the time, uh, the captain was flying the aircraft. I was on the radios. And so I queried him, well, what's going on? His response sent chills up and down our spines because being a retired military officer and pilot, as was the captain, these words are words you never want to hear. I can't tell you over an open frequency. The alarm bells going off in both of our heads were screaming at us saying something is drastically wrong. If you can't tell us over an open frequency, it must be really bad. Fortunately, the model of the 767 we were flying that day had a satellite phone in the cockpit. So we made a phone call to Dallas, got our dispatcher on the line, and asked, one, what was going on, and two, what were we supposed to do? So he told us that two airplanes had hit the World Trade Center. We immediately recognized this as the bad news. However, he did not tell us that they were commercial airliners. He did not tell us that one of them was ours. So he then directed us to make our way towards Miami, and they would figure out what to do with this once we got there. So I got off the phone with him, and I coordinated with San Juan Center to get clearance to go from our present position, which was just south of Puerto Rico, over to Miami, which is about halfway between Caracas and uh, JFK. So now we are making our way towards Miami, and we still have questions. So we are sending messages to the company, trying to get some answers about one, what's going to happen is when we get to Miami, and two, what's really going on? 
And the only response we get is a rather disturbing message through the printer that says, not even the flight attendants are allowed in the cockpit. At this point, the crash axe comes out of its holder, which is right behind my seat, and it is now in my lap. Charlie, the captain, looks at me and goes, Jeff, it's your airplane. I want to be free to handle what's going on, uh, whatever that may be. At this point, we uh, make a decision that we are not going to tell anyone on board what is going on, that we're going to Miami or what has happened in New York City. For all intents and purposes, they think they're still on their way to Kennedy. So we switch over to Miami Center. This takes about another hour. It's about a three, three and a half hour flight from Caracas to Miami. We have opened up our publications because we had all the uh, JFK approach plates and maps out. So now we had to switch over to Miami. It doesn't take very long, but it's still something we have to look at. And all of a sudden, Miami Center comes up and makes a broadcast to everyone on the radio saying, Everyone, stand by. I will be calling you back in sequence. All U.S. airspace is closed. I'll be asking you where you want to land outside of the United States. So if our hackles weren't raised before, they are now. So now we can't go to Miami. As the first officer, I have the publications that cover diversion fields uh, for Latin America and the Caribbean. So I pull out my book and I select with Charlie's approval that we're going to go to NASA on the Bahamas. It's uh, 11,000 feet of runway. It's an American Airlines station. Uh, so we can be serviced there uh, and we have people there who can handle us and take care of us for whatever is going on. So for the next 15 to 20 minutes, we listen to Miami Center divert people all over the Caribbean. Can't go back to San Juan, that's U.S. territory. Can't go to the U.S. Virgin Islands, that's U.S. territory. People are going back to the Dominican Republic, to Haiti, to the other Virgin Islands, back to Aruba, Antigua, you name it, they're going there. So he stops for a moment and comes across the radio and goes, okay, these three flights are going to be allowed in. We were first. We were going to be allowed into Miami. There was a continental flight roughly a half an hour behind us out of Caracas that was scheduled Caracas to Miami. Then the American Caracas Miami flight that was an hour behind us. To my knowledge, those are the last three airplanes to land in Miami that day. So we're going to be first. In those days, Miami had two east-west runways, which were the primaries, and one uh, northeast-southwest runway. They were landing to the east that day. And normally, when you check in with Miami Approach Control, you do not say anything on the radio because the frequency is that busy, because there's that many airplanes on the frequency trying all to land at Miami. They will call you back when the guy gets to take a breath. That morning, it's roughly 11 o'clock. We are the only one on the radio. We are the only airplane in this guy's airspace. It was the weirdest sensation in the world to hear the quiet on the radio. It's noisier at 3 a.m. So that's a little unnerving. There's also nobody on the TCAS, uh, which is uh, a way we can see other airplanes uh, on a scope in the, in the, uh, on our displays. It shows other airplanes in their relation to us in altitude. There's no one else there. No general aviation, no business, no commercial. Just us. So as we maneuver out to the west of the field, again, I'm flying 
uh, to line up on what was then known as 09 left, which is now 08 right. We're about 10 miles out on final, and I'm looking out at the airport, and if the hair wasn't standing up on the back of my neck, it is now. For those of you who have ever visited what is affectionately called the Boneyard out in Tucson, Arizona, you'll know what Miami looked like. There were airplanes everywhere. Everywhere. The entire north ramp, which is a huge cargo ramp, it is basically the length of the airport east-west, is covered with airplanes parked nose-to-nose, tail-to-tail, wing-over-wing. I mean, it was frightening to look at. A lot of the taxiways um, had airplanes parked on them. There's a huge hold pad just to the west of the main terminal that was covered with airplanes. So this is what Charlie and I are looking at. And and it's a beautiful day in Miami as well. So we're coming in and we configure the airplane. And about 1,500 feet above the ground, I call for the final flap setting, which is flaps 30. I've never had this happen before. And I've never had this happen since we get a condition which is known as split flaps, where one side of the aircraft has flaps 30, the other side of the aircraft has flaps 25. It is an emergency situation. Uh, It's not that difficult to land with. It's unusual. We don't don't practice very often. Uh, But normally you would go around, go out in a holding pattern, and try to resolve the situation. It takes about anywhere from 15 to 20 to 30 minutes to run the checklist. It's kind of complicated depending on how it works out. So here we are looking at split flaps approximately four miles from the field and all Charlie says, Jeff, I'm sorry, I'm taking the airplane. And I looked at him and says, Charlie, it's your airplane. Here's your ref speed. And basically I selected the flaps 25 approach speed, which we have available to us rather easily. Because we both knew, with what we were looking at outside, and a little bit we knew about the situation, that we were landing. There was no doubt in our mind. Now, prior to 9-11, if an aircraft was seen taxiing into the gate area with its flaps extended, that was a signal to air traffic control that you were being hijacked. It also was a signal that you wanted armed intervention now. I mean, right now. So we know this. So as we land, Charlie takes the airplane to clear the runway. I switch over to ground control, and I am yelling at the ground controller on the radio. We're a little nervous, and I'm yelling at this guy. Miami Tower, this is American 936. Our flaps are down because they're broke. I want to make sure beyond any reasonable doubt that we're not going to have cops coming out shooting at our tires to disable the aircraft. So they understand that. As we taxi in, Charlie makes his first announcement to the passengers about what's going on. His PA goes something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, from looking outside or by looking at your watches, you may realize that this is not New York. And that's how we started. He then proceeds to tell them the little bit that we know about the two aircraft hitting the World Trade Center. Remember, at this point, we do not know the towers have fallen. We do not know the commercial airliners. We do not know about the Pentagon or Western Pennsylvania, Shanksville. He does ask the people to remain seated once we get to the gate uh, for the agents to come on board to explain what is going to happen, how they're going to get to their destination. So we taxi in, and miraculously, we actually get a gate right away. I don't know how they did that because, there was, like I said before, there was airplanes everywhere. And as we get to the gate, we park, shut down, we go through our checklist. The agent comes on board, 
and she gets on the PA, and now we all know that the towers are down. We all know they're commercial airliners. We know that some of them are ours. We find out about the Pentagon. We still do not know about Western Pennsylvania, Shanksville. So there, you could hear a pin drop on the airplane. You know, there's like almost 200 people on this airplane, including the crew. And there is dead silence. Everybody gets off the airplane. The crew is still on board. Uh, the captain and I and uh, the flight attendants. And we're sitting there because we are not supposed to be there. So I'm sitting in the cockpit and I turn on my cell phone. There's a voicemail from my wife who is in absolute tears. She has no idea where or if I even am. I'm frantically trying to call her at this point. But because of the phone system of the hotel, not the hotel, the restaurant where she worked at the time, uh, I can't get through and I can't break in on the line. So I said, as I said earlier, I'm supposed to land about noon in New York, which puts me home before my children get home from school. My children are in first, third, and uh, 11th grade at this point. So fortunately, I have the phone number to the elementary school. I get the secretary on the phone, and I go, Miss Fish, what do the children know? And she goes, well, we have not told them anything. And I go, well, I'm a pilot for American Airlines, and that's where she lost it. Once uh, she gets a little composed, I explain to her that my children need to be aware of where I am. They expected to find me at home when they got home from school. So she agrees to do that for me. Now I request that she call the high school because I do not have their number because I know that my oldest daughter is very aware of the events of the day. In fact, she's in an English class watching on live TV my airplane fly into the World Trade Center. My daughter is sitting in that class when the guidance counselor comes to her room to get her. When that happens, my daughter knew I was dead. I think my family had it harder than I did. At least I knew I was. I knew where I was. I knew I was safe for now. But I couldn't get a hold of them. And like I said, they did not know where or if I even was. So that was kind of a tough part of the day. Uh, so after about an hour um, sitting there in the airplane, we find out that we're going to a hotel. Uh, and for Charlie and I, it ends up being our normal layover hotel, which is down on Miami Beach. So as Charlie and I exit the terminal to go get our limousine van service out to the uh, hotel, one of the Miami news stations is there, and this woman throws a microphone in my face and asks me my opinion of the events of the day. And this is the last thing I needed. All I could think to say to this woman into the mic was, there but for the grace of God, go I. And I walked away. Was it on the news? I don't know. Do I care? No. Um, it was... Uh, rather tragic uh, what was going on so we end up uh, at the hotel and this is a hotel that is almost exclusively airline crews in fact it's almost exclusively American Airlines and United Airlines the two companies involved in the events that day 
uh, there's hundreds of us there, and it was probably the best place to be. I remember sitting out by the pool trying to calm down, and I have uh, a woman sitting on each knee. Uh, they were flight attendants, and I still know these women to this day. And I had two women sitting on my knees, on my shoulders, bawling their eyes out. They were just so distraught. Normally, at this hotel, there's a cooler out by the pool. And it's an honor system. You put a dollar in, you can take a beer. Uh, the cooler was not there. Instead, there was this 50-gallon trash can full of beer and sodas and stuff. And guys were just walking downstairs, throwing a 20 in the box, and everybody wants a beer, it's on me. There was uh, that kind of camaraderie going on. People walking around the lobby. Uh, anybody got a charger for this kind of cell phone? Somewhere in here, I finally do get a hold of my wife. Yeah, let's just say that was an interesting discussion. It's hard enough even just thinking about it. So we spend the next five days in Miami. I'm sitting there at the pool watching the F-15s fly up and down the coastline. Jealous as all get out because I had been retired for less than two years flying that exact same airplane. And part of me is still really angry about the whole day, not just because we were attacked, but because I spent 22 years on active duty being paid to be shot at to protect this country, but I could shoot back. And now they were trying to kill me and I couldn't do anything about it. That really, really made me angry. It still does. So we get home Saturday night to New York. I'm still not home yet. Uh, I've been gone for nine straight days. Four days of the trip and then another five days in Miami. And because of the events, the FAA has waived a lot of the crew rest uh, requirements trying to get the airlines back on their feet. Because, I mean, we are scattered all over the United States, all over the world. I have friends who are stuck in uh, Gander, uh, up in uh, Canada, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, over in Europe. So trying to just find pilots who were able to fly, who were local enough to fly, was getting to be a real issue. Because there was metal and crews all over the world where they weren't supposed to be. So our trip... Our next trip was the same one we had just flown. It was uh, show up in the morning, uh, first thing in the morning, and fly out to Bermuda, stay the day in Bermuda, come back to New York the next day, and then on the second, third, and fourth days, we'd be flying through the Caribbean. So we're trying to get released for one day at home. And uh, what we offer the schedule is, listen, we will start our trip on Monday when it comes back from Bermuda. We're just asking for one day at home. And the schedulers are arguing with the captain. He says, we have, they're telling us we have to be there the next morning. We have to be there. And Charlie finally tells the guy, listen, I'm hanging up now. Am I coming to work on Monday or am I coming up to work a week from now? You tell me because I'm not going to be here tomorrow morning. We're not coming. And so they finally give in. So we decide to show up uh, Monday morning for uh, the remainder of the three days of our trip. And I finally get to go home. I get home. Oh, it's probably close to midnight on Saturday night, finally get to be with uh, my family. Needless to say, uh, it was a quick turn because uh, I did have to go back to work on Monday. So Sunday was spent very close to those I love. Interesting, uh, I normally leave for work three hours before I have to be there. But on that first trip on Monday morning, I decided to make it four hours. It was an hour, not enough. Uh, it took me four hours. Uh, I got to the aircraft at departure time. Uh, I was only, I was the only pilot there. Charlie had was an hour behind me. Uh, I had like 
three flight attendants. I think I needed five or six. Uh, they were just so happy to see crews uh, make it that it wasn't a problem. The hardest part of that drive-in wasn't the traffic jam. The hardest part was driving across the Verrazano Bridge. The Verrazano Bridge is the bridge between Staten Island and the southern end of New York City by Coney Island. It's at the entrance to the bay, to the harbor. And if you look off to the right, there is the southern tip of Manhattan, where the Royal Trade Center had been. You could see the smoke from miles away, but from the bridge, especially once you approach the, the apex of the bridge, the top of the bridge, you could see the hole. You could see the fire still burning. In fact, that hole smoked for months and months and months. That was the hard part. I almost stopped the car. Uh, it was just almost overwhelming to see that lack of skyline. To this day, when I drive over that bridge, I look over there at where the towers had stood. And yes, the Freedom Tower is there now. But for years it wasn't. And it still hurts, even though the Freedom Tower is there. It's really cool doing it at night, because uh, the Freedom Tower, of course, it's the tallest building in the city, it's the tallest building on the East Coast, and it's all lit up. And it, you know, it's just like, that to me is a shining testament in honor of all those who suffered and died that day. So I publish this letter every year. This is the first time I've recorded it, and it's taken a few attempts to get this far. Uh, as you can tell, I get kind of choked up. So initially started just sending this out as an email a year after 9-11, just to my family and friends. Some of them asked me if they could share it with people they knew, and I said, sure. It's not something that I'm trying to bring attention to myself. It's something that I put out there so people don't forget. I can tell you now that this letter has made it probably all the way around the world. I know it's gone as far west as Australia and as far east as Europe. And I'm sure there are some people in South America who've read the letter that I've posted. And it's been shared by friends, family, people I don't even know. In fact, one year I even got it back. Uh, it came back to me from somebody who shared it with me, didn't realizing it was actually my letter, uh, which I thought was kind of amusing. And the same holds true for this recording. People have asked me to do this uh, so it could be published. Part of me almost didn't want to do it, but part of me says it needs to be shared. I know it's been read on other podcasts, the letter has. Uh, I know that a certain very famous radio talk show host in the United States has a copy of the letter. As I said, this is so people do not forget because of my sharing my letter over the years, uh, I know other people who have shared their stories in a similar way. I just received one from a woman who saw my story for the first time and replied to me and shared her story. Her husband was in the service. Uh, she was visiting family. Her husband was actually not on duty at the time. He was uh, a reservist. Actually, no, he wasn't. He was on active duty, but he was home with the children. He was watching the children while she was in Oklahoma, and the fact they lived in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, her story of him being called in, because he was actually a pilot for a VIP unit at Andrews Air Force Base, and how he had to get the president, the vice president out of town. She's in Oklahoma. She can't get home. Her story of getting home to get her children and the neighbors who took care of the kids because dad was gone and she was away. 
So there's thousands of stories out there. Our church had a service for our teen group. My wife and I attended with my oldest daughter, and it was very interesting because in his homily, Father McDermott got up and said, some of you may be wondering where God was in all of this. And he proceeds to tell the stories of all the people who weren't in the tower that morning. The woman who uh, missed her train, the gentleman who forgot he'd had a dental appointment, so he went there instead of work, someone else who missed the train, someone else who stopped for donuts. To put it all in perspective, realize that 50,000 people worked in those two towers. Less than 3,000 perished. But the number of lives impacted by that day goes far beyond those 3,000 families. There's the hundreds of thousands of people who were either stuck on Manhattan Island that day, stuck in traffic in other places, stranded uh, all over the world because the United States airspace basically shut down. People like myself, by the woman I just mentioned, trying to get home to her kids. My brother's a, a doctor in central New Jersey, how he had to evacuate his hospital of anybody who could did not require to be in the hospital because they were expecting mass casualties. To my sister who had her children were friends with other children who lost parents that day. It was a terrible event. Let us never forget what happened. Let us never forget how this country came together to respond to that tragedy in such unity. So I end this on that note. May God bless us all. Thank you. I, I mean, uh, Jeff, that must have been one of the hardest things uh, to do. And uh, I think I speak for all of us uh, listening to that story, All everybody who is listening uh, live, everybody who's listening to this in the recorded version that goes out as a podcast. Um, thank you, thank you for um, recording um, that for us. It was, it's a, a, a letter that I've been lucky enough to read over uh, a couple of years. Uh, from my point of view, it was fascinating to hear. Obviously, we were all very aware of what was going on in the news at the time uh, of the awful awful events um and it was nice uh not nice that's not the word that i'm looking for but to hear it from the other side of the cockpit door mm. as jeff would often say um i think I, it's safe to say that everyone in the chat room matt is is um in yeah. total agreement that um yeah they a hundred percent appreciate the fact that jeff's put this into into into, into, into words yeah. and also voiced it obviously and it, it's incredibly hard yeah. for jeff to do and you know it's is it's it is very much but, appreciated um, for, yeah. for for making that recording it's one of those events again i mean that they every, everybody i suppose in their lives always have an event where they remember what they were doing at the time that they found out um uh, what happened um and I might, mine actually i was at work and um we ended up going i think down the pub believe it or not to watch the footage uh, unfold in uh you know of 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 said event and uh, when I was watching it on the TV, I genuinely thought that it was a film 
that was on the television uh, actually i didn't mm. think it was actually live news footage of of you know the events unfolding essentially actually jeff said in the chat room matt yeah. that uh, interesting that we're hearing this and that the terror still continues he says uh, you yeah. guys as in here in the uk yes, correct are dealing with um yet another incident mm. here in the uh, in the uk in our capital today on the yes. tube station this morning i mean as as this is recording out and i hope the uh, as this is playing out sorry uh, i and i hope this doesn't change uh, at the moment um there have been some n- n- well non-life-threatening injuries is how it's been described uh, yeah. as things stand at the moment i'm pleased to say nobody has lost their lives um but uh, I, g- I guess we're never going to get to the bottom of this and as jeff quite rightly says in this i think it important that um we remember anything um that you you'd like to add to uh, to this pip no um jeff thanks very much for sharing it's um you know a terrible event but a, a an amazing story to hear it, it told from your point of view you know everyone remembers where they were that day it was just one of those events everyone remember i was I remember in london actually i was just coming out of the gym in the getting changed in the shower they had a tv in the changing rooms and uh it was just breaking as i was coming out they said an aircraft had hit one of the towers and naturally like everyone else i assumed it was just a light aircraft yeah mm. yeah uh and then you just remember the amazement of watching this whole thing unfold and i was in central london there was a real fear that um you know the tall buildings in london might be under threat and i remember they yeah. yeah they evacuated uh, canary wharf tower mm. and several of the other big buildings around there it was that was you know it was unreal wasn't it that that whole day and the, the days following it yeah and like jeff says it's just amazing <laughs> this if i can uh swear for a moment uh matt this yeah. shit's still going on yeah. today yeah you know remember the scores and scores of other events that have happened all around the world yeah in the you know from these lunatics and mm. they're well let's not go into that but no no indeed i know what you mean but, uh, it, it's, no it's, so a big thank you to jeff uh, for that again for, yeah yeah absolutely. from all of us here and all this, yeah. the uh, community and i'm sure everybody who's listened to this really appreciates it was you know it was it must as i say it must be very emotional so hard for you to do and and we thank you for doing it so we're going to draw a line under that um and we're going to we've uh, got a segment we do um, yes yeah, so although that, nev from nev has run away because uh, he's busy trying to catch his airplane to get home i don't know why he'd want to do that uh, no, no. <laughs> I, he, i'd stay in the states personally he's, le- he's leaving <laughs> 25 degrees celsius to come yeah. back to five yeah, to, to minus five yeah celsius. absolutely or yeah. at least it feels like minus five uh so yes uh it, here it is it's it's nev's passenger experience Hello, it's Nev here again with another in the series of Nev's Passenger Experience. Well, today I'm in the studio at home with another one of my audiovisual industry colleagues, Andrew Smith. Andrew has travelled extensively in Europe, the US, the Middle East and the Far East on business and for pleasure. And we're going to talk about a number of topics regarding his own passenger experience on a number of different carriers. So welcome, Andrew. How are you today? I'm good, thank you, Nev, and thanks very much for uh, inviting me along today. You're very welcome, sir. Right, let's get the thing done first um i'm just on six foot how tall are you i'm uh, two meters or six foot six in old money gosh so what kind of difficulties does that present when you're traveling with the airlines well it's been a problem I mean, i've been this height since i was 15 and i'm now 
uh, older than that. So it, it's a real problem in terms of the leg room. And I'm not the uh, the slimmest chap in the world as as well. So the narrowness of the uh, of the seats on some aircraft also come into play, uh, where you are uh, pretty much hemmed in and you can't move at all. It's really uncomfortable. And if if you're not sort of uh, built like me, then it's uh, some people can find it difficult to understand what the problem is. But when you are built like me, the problem is extremely obvious and very uncomfortable. So what about the emergency exit seats? How does, does that offer you any benefit on, on these airlines that you travel on? Well, there's no consistency between the airlines, is what I found. And you name it, I've flown them from Ryanair, who I will never fly with again, to EasyJet, to BA, to Virgin Atlantic, to Eva Air, and all the rest of them. There's there's no consistency in seat pitch. I mean, did you know that you know, there's actually laws governing how much room live cattle must be given where they've been transported in the back of a truck? But there's no law stating how much <laughs> space a human being should have in economy class on an air craft mm, there's, so, a lot, there's a lot of material there then isn't there <laughs> yeah there's an awful lot of material this is something i can i can talk about quite a lot the uh, um the exit row seat the fabled exit row seat on most airlines will provide some additional leg room um i think um if you look at EasyJet, it certainly uh, gives you an extra couple of inches as it does on most of the ba as well however it, i have noticed that the seats on some ba aircraft are different in the exit row to the standard economy seat and they're much narrower narrower so you find yourself hemmed in and we've got to remember you've paid an extra 40 pounds each way on ba mm, yeah. for that seat to find you've got more leg room but less width there's something that ba don't tell you on the advanced booking form mm, interesting now you've flown extensively in the middle east and in the far east as well who have you been flying with and what's been the experience there for the Middle East, I've been uh, flying on business mostly, so I've been lucky I've been in premium economy, and it's been almost exclusively British Airways, and, and their premium economy is not bad at all. I mean, there's... Uh there's uh, so a decent amount of legroom, even when the seat in front is fully reclined. Um, the seat back isn't touching my knees or my shins or anything. Um, I find that these awful um, footrests get in the way. There's the flop-down ones just tend to eat into your space and you see, I wish the airlines wouldn't do those. Um, but uh, I've also flown Eva Air, who I favour on the London to Bangkok route. My brother lives in Bangkok, so I tend to holiday in Thailand quite a lot where I can go and, uh, and meet up with him. They have the best leg room of any premium economy uh, cabin I've flown in, but they have the worst seat. Uh, the uh, BA are, uh, are sort of uh, in the middle on both in terms of seat comfort yeah. and leg room. Virgin Atlantic, however, I went to Havana in Cuba with them uh, at Christmas. The seat in uh, Virgin Atlantic's premium economy is absolutely amazing. It's extraordinarily comfortable, and I have to say the in-flight entertainment system's quite good as well. However, they are the worst of the premium economy cabins I've ever been in because of the appalling lack of legroom. And when the guy in front reclines his seat, it's just like sitting in economy. There's just no room at all. And uh, my flight to Havana was indeed my only, my first and uh, only ever flight with Virgin Atlantic, and I did stick a complaint to them uh, when I got back and logged a complaint with the cabin service director and they did very kindly um, send me some vouchers for use on another Virgin Atlantic flight. <laughs> However, that doesn't really solve the problem in that I can't fit in the seat but in the first place. But isn't that mad? I mean, they, they've got the comfortable seat, that's all nicely worked out, but the, the legroom is completely inadequate. I mean, who designs this stuff? 
Well, it's down to the airlines how they actually lay out their seats. Um, one thing I did know, coming back, I managed to get the uh, bulkhead row in premium economy. I think I sat in 14J. And uh, coincidentally, I was actually sat next to uh, uh, the uh, British ambassador to uh, to Cuba on the way home. So it's always nice to uh, oh. to sit next to somebody interesting. Quick name drop. A yeah, yeah, quick yeah. name drop yeah. on that one. Totally. And I could put my legs out straight in front of me. And there was still another four to six inches of room between the soles of my feet and the bulkhead. And I couldn't understand why Virgin don't just move that seat forward a bit and give everybody else in the in the five rows behind an, an extra inch or two of leg room. I mm. can't understand why they've done it like this. So if you're flying Virgin Atlantic on a 747, the seats to have in premium economy are 14A and B and 14J and K because the leg room is just phenomenal and the seat is lovely and wide and very comfortable. Had a very pleasant trip on the way back from Havana, unlike the flight going out. Mm, This is all very interesting information. Now, um, we've been uh, talking to a lot of people in our industry about the whole problem with uh, a race to the bottom, if you like, in terms of, you know, the prices being quite high, but the level of service being mediocre, average or or not very good. What's What's your experience been? Well, six weeks ago, I went to uh, New York for uh, for nine days with my best friend, and uh, we went premium economy on, on British Airways. And it was interesting. On the way out, we had uh, I was on the first flight of the day out Heathrow. The, it went about eight thirty in the morning. We had a nice hot breakfast, and then we had a sandwich about ninety minutes before we landed. On the way back, we had um, we left the, the flight left about uh, half past seven or so. It was a bit delayed, and uh, we had a hot meal as soon as we got into the air. But uh, the breakfast had completely disappeared and we were just given a piece of malt loaf and some biscuits and they stopped all this in-flight biscuit run. There was only one drinks run. BA are cutting back on all this. I'm using BA as an example here. BA are cutting back on all these extras and things, but I don't see the price of a ticket coming down. Mm. Yeah, and that's a very common complaint, actually. Uh, I think people um, would also say that they would prefer perhaps BA to be the premium airline line and therefore pay one will pay the premium price and you get the premium service and i think people would understand that and be happy with that i, I completely agree with that i mean, ba have always sold um uh, themselves on being a, a premium product a premium quality product offering premium level of service and things and whilst the onboard service was fine it wasn't a patch on virgin atlantic uh, for my uh, cuba trip at uh, christmas but they've just cut back so much now and the prices of the extras, like reserving the seat in advance, I mean, unless you're, I think, now a gold card holder, even if you've booked a business class seat, you have to pay hmm. for booking that seat. And I like to see, I, you know, I suffer from a little bit from claustrophobia. I don't want to be in the middle on the back row next to the bulkhead. I want to be sat on the aisle. And unfortunately, uh, from the trip to, uh, to New York, that put another £90 on the price of the ticket. Oh, yeah. However, on the trip to Havana, it put nothing on the price of the ticket with Virgin. Extraordinary, isn't it? I think the other thing is you've got the the mainline uh, full-service airlines trying to have a go at being low-cost carriers in some cases, and they're no good at it because their cost base is far too high, at least with Ryanair and EasyJet. You can think what you like about both of those airlines, but at least you basically know what you're getting for for your money, don't you? Ryanair and EasyJet have never claimed to be full frills or full service airlines they've only been low cost low service level pay for everything and you understand that when you book the ticket with them but 
uh, BA seem to be trying to charge a premium fare but cutting back on everything possible they can. And they've been dropping the drinks runs and things like that. You now get one drinks run. Mm, yeah, it's it's uh, not very clever at all, isn't it? Um, but, but think about the future. I mean, do you think that airlines pay attention to what their, their premium uh, customers are saying about this? Because this is not new. This has been going on for a while now. People like EasyJet and, and Ryanair don't have premium customers. They just have all customers at one level. So they're offering you know, the, the McDonald's-type uh, solution. RBA and other airlines listening to their premium customers? I'm not 100% sure. We've seen uh, BA cut back huge amounts. They've taken the flowers out of the toilets on the aircraft and cut back on the goodie bags and everything else. And these are to the, you know, you're cutting things out from the people who are paying three to four thousand pounds for a ticket in business class for a flexible ticket. And you know, the first class people is anything up to five and a half grand for a return to New York if you want full flexibility. These are the people where you're making your money, yet you're cutting back what you're delivering to them. And they're deserting in droves. And you, you know, it's far easier to keep a customer than it is to find a new customer. So uh, if you're sat down the back in economy, you know it's not going to be the best experience in the world. We all know that. But if you're sat up the front in the nice seats, you expect you know, a nice goodie bag, uh, and decent levels of service and, and much, much better food. But the cutbacks have just gone too far now. Uh, I, I did see in the news a couple of weeks ago that Alex Cruz had uh, uh, announced that he was going to be doing upgrades and bringing some things back in the premium classes. But I think he's cut it too hard, too much, too fast, too soon. He's come from a low-cost airline background with his history at Vueling, I think it was, yeah. where he was working. And he's tried to apply that model to BA and he hasn't listened to what the passengers have said and he certainly hasn't listened to what his staff have said because the staff, uh, the actual uh, cabin crew on the aircraft have been saying don't cut back in the premium classes and they're absolutely right because that's where your revenue comes from and the 747 I took to New York, I think it only had 110 economy seats, everything else was premium seating, either premium economy, business or first Yeah, I think this is the problem, I'm speaking to you know people that we both know, Kevin Murphy Neil Hartigan, they've all said the same thing basically Basically, that you know that's where the uh, the revenue is going to come from in in the premium seats uh, in, in the premium cabins. If you're actually not delivering the service you're charging for, then actually you, you you're not ticking the box, are you? Absolutely. If you are charging a premium price, you need to deliver the premium experience. That's a premium level of service with premium food and premium baggage handling and all the rest of it to get your bags off first. BA are just cutting back so much on this at the moment. It, I really think they're, they're heading on a, a nosedive, and I just don't know that they can pull out of that dive. Mm. So if you were the brand manager of uh, BA's uh, Club Europe or Club World and you weren't doing your job that you're doing now, what, what would be the first thing that you would change, do you think? So um, if I was the, the brand manager looking after, let's say, business and first class, on uh, British Airways, the first thing I'd do is I'd drop the fee for actually seat allocation when you're booking online. That's the first thing that goes. Yeah. If you're paying £2,500 for a business class seat, you should be able to choose on the aircraft where you sit. The next thing I'm going to do is look at the in-flight experience. So we need to start 
with the check-in process okay and make sure that there is still dedicated check-in lanes i know they've just oba have just opened a new uh wing up at heathrow for first class but don't forget the business class passengers as well they don't want to use self-service machines they want a, a face-to-face check-in now economy passengers leave them to use the self-service you don't have to worry about that next have a look at the lounges are they clean? Are they up to date? The Virgin Clubhouse at Heathrow has an extremely good offering with both the experience and the food and the levels of service. Check all that out. Make sure that it's up to the mark. Then, with the in-flight experience, make sure the planes are actually cleaned properly. That's a huge bugbear of mine is a dirty aircraft. Then look at the food. Increase the food offering in terms of the quality and the variety. And for the premium passengers, bring back some snacks and things like that midway through the flight. And don't forget to mix the businessmen a gin and tonic if that's what they want. When you get to New York, make sure that priority lane is there for immigration and that the bags are off first without fail. Basically, BA's cost base is too high in my book. I really think they need to look at stripping out all the layers of senior management they've got and start directing the money they will save from that into the customer-facing areas, into delivering the in-flight experience, and also the experience when you book and the experience when you get off the aircraft the other end of your destination to make sure that there are staff available and your bags are delivered in a timely manner. That's absolutely superb, Andrew, and thank you very much indeed for sharing your opinions with us. And, uh, well, I'll look forward to uh, what the response is going to be. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. Thevoicesinyourhead.com The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plain talking uk on twitter via at plain talking uk or get in touch via email on podcast at plain talking uk.com thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening fly b5823 trent dane for two three hour manchester with air 6x climb flight level 210 direct to britman's park United 123, maintain 280 knots. Turn right onto Bravo, link 21, join Alpha, hold at Mora. Speedbird 472, LOC slash approach runway 27 left. Follow the green stand 544. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well, now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. 
NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing-licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed-base Boeing 737-800 Flight Simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So, for the ultimate flight simulator experience, or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check out the websites at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 40 616. NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. Great work from Nev again. I am so excited about our 200th show. I am so excited. I literally cannot wait. Can can we do it now? I love the ad. Can we do it now? I do love the ad. Can we do it now? Tony S says, who's the voiceover guy? I recognise the voice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Anyone watch Strictly? No. Uh, Sorry. Um, (laughs) No, but they're they're very well uh, well done again for uh, Nev for his work on the uh, Pastor Experience. I love that. That was awesome, Nev. Can I I, um, add a small, tiny bit to his um, interview Of course you do, yes. Because there's another great interview. I'm really enjoying Nev's passenger experiences, actually. Uh, I I don't know if anyone else has noticed, there seems to be a common thread running through his his, uh, interviews regarding (laughs) BA. I don't know if anyone's picked up on that. (laughs) No, not at all. But if, um, I mean, BA are in big trouble. If you go and have a look at um, an annual report from BA, which is freely available online, pick a year, any year for the last 20 years or so. Pick one at random. And somewhere on about page one on the BA annual report, it says something to the effect of um, British Airways' most valuable asset is its brand image and brand name and should be protected at all costs. Yeah. Uh, and I think they've, um, they should read their own report because <laughs> they're getting a right bashing in yeah. all four corners of the, of the globe at the moment. It's, um, funnily enough, I was on a BA flight this morning. Oh, what? Uh? Uh, down to Munich, there wasn't a single spare seat, empty seat. It was packed to the rafters. So you know, it's a bit of a um, you know mismatch, isn't it? On one hand, everyone's giving me bashing about how appalling the service but how is, was and the it flight is. Those, Pip? How was but at the, the same time, they're you know they're making money hand over fist. Yeah. So the, the gentleman in the interview there said they should get rid of the the fees for choosing a seat. Yeah. If people are paying it, then why? Why the well, heck would why they? Are they gonna, yeah. Why? Why would you uh, d- deny yourself that um, that revenue? Yeah, stream? I mean, you know, they they make millions and millions and millions from that. It is. Uh, it was it, like sixty million, I think. I read oh, somewhere on wow on seat allocation fees per year. That's that is. So you know, they're not going to get rid of that without a good reason. No, anyway, that's my bash of BA for the day. Right, good. I'll be back with <laughs> another BA bashing tomorrow. If anyone's interested. <laughs> So I so, dare say yes. So we um, <laughs> obviously you're you're uh, not in the UK at the moment, in Pip. Are you flying mm. home tomorrow, or are you? No, no. I'm day one today. I've just oh, started day one. Day oh, one of a six day trip. Yeah, I a yeah. oh, bit of a nightmare day. I had like a ten hour, maybe even eleven hour duty day for a fifty minute flight. Oh, what? I had to crack a dawn this morning at Luton. Get a car down to Heathrow, mm. BA to Munich, um, a train from Munich to Salzburg, two and a half hours. Then hang around at Salzburg for a couple of hours, and then fly here to to Lugano. Um, so a, a lot of 
travelling and duty time for, for not much. Oh, hello, Dr. Stain. Oh, Ooh, hello, Steph. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, dear. Right. Oh, I can't say that anymore. She's engaged, isn't she? Oh, I see. <laughs> With an added... At right. the end. Okay, good. So, yeah, so uh, that was... You, you uh, happy good, now, yeah. are where, you? Where, <laughs> are you, where are you off to uh, any, any fine, far-flung European destinations this weekend? Yeah, tomorrow right? we are going from here to Marseille in France. Marseille. Marseille, oui, oui, oui. And then from there we're going to Catania in uh, Sicily, Ooh. which is nice. Don't often go there. So no. hopefully I'll be spending the night there tomorrow night in Sicily. Oh, oh very nice. In Godfather country, yeah. Lovely. So we've got uh, a bit of a heads-up for uh, for the, those of you guys listening to the live show mm. at the moment in the chat room. So that's uh, concerning next week's show. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, we'll be back to our usual 7 p.m. slot for yep. next week's show. Uh, we've got a couple of brand spanking new guests coming on the show next yeah, week. Yeah, very exciting. And uh, we're lucky enough to uh, have uh, not one, but two... Airbus A320 pilots uh, on the show in, at the same time, which is quite good. Uh, there's a reason for that, obviously, because they both do a certain podcast. So yeah, anyway, we've so got uh, we've got both the hosts, yeah. Matt and Andy. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be a confusing show with two, yeah, Matts, two Matts. That's fine. We'll cope. We'll cope. Uh, so fine. we've got Matt and Andy. Now they're the hosts of the A320 podcast. So uh, and uh, for those of you guys, look them up on our iTunes. Yep. They uh, do a, sh- a podcast all about the well it's just a real tech mm. no geeko show all about the a320 yeah. uh, airbus and uh, so check those guys out we're going to have them on the show next week so uh, hopefully um the phone's ringing that's a <laughs> yeah, good start yeah. hopefully uh, you'll uh, be able to uh, set, ask them whatever questions you want to ask them on uh, next week's yeah. show so, uh, yes, as uh, Carlos's phone is busy ringing like mad, it is time for us all to say goodbye. I hope that's not the last time we have a live segment from you, sir. That was very enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I'll have to put my thinking cap on, won't Absolutely. I? Because we yes. haven't had a segment from you for years. Please. Yes, I know. And then we have I know. twice, in, twice in as many alone, 400 years. Yeah, so when, when's the next episode of uh, your uh, fine show being released? Any idea? Oh, well, I just released one a few days ago, mm. uh, if you haven't picked that one up. Uh, yeah. do so and then I'm planning to do one with uh, Captain Al uh, very soon oh, no. oh that'd be a long show <laughs> oh, no. Captain Al and possibly uh, another special guest mm-hmm. someone who's sitting just over there on my screen not, he's there, not, he's not pointing at me. He's not, no, pointing, not pointing at me. You. I don't want you on my show. Get off. Oh. <laughs> well, you certainly don't want me. Yeah, well, turn, <laughs> his mi- turn his microphone down. Oh right. Okay. Oh well. Oh, that, that sounds. Um, that sounds interesting. I look oh, forward to further. Okay. Of course, this is all dependent on me getting enough donations for my London Marathon walk. Oh, I see. Oh. Yes, of course. He's Quickly, very good. Quick, go on. Quick bit of shameless oh. promotion, then, Pip. Before, yeah, course, we, uh, before please, we shut the please, show. Please, please, please. Um, as you know, I'm doing this London Marathon walk to raise some money for the Thames Valley Air Ambulance. So go to my website, planesafetypodcast.com. Uh, find the page there's a big link in big blue flashing neon letters says donate here just click it yeah and give me all your money and we'll put it it, we'll put it in the show notes uh yet again so uh, also while we while we are talking about show notes actually um there's been a lot of interest in the chat room uh our little 9-11 tribute that we played earlier on there's been a lot of interest in the chat room about that audio file being made available for people to listen to again uh jeff has very kindly said uh that that is uh something that we're allowed to do um so i will make sure that that audio file is available for people to listen to um 
uh, as soon as I can. But uh, that is where we're going to bring episode number 182. Ooh. 182. How did that happen? Come to a close. Uh, uh, my thanks to Pitt for joining us and playing a rather entertaining and still, frankly, mind-blowing game. Uh, how long on. will this be next week? Yeah, and how long will Carlos's beard be next week stay tuned next friday for all the latest information from all of us here in the studio and in have a great weekend parts, everyone it's time to say goodbye say goodbye everyone bye everyone Woo.